system three Recorded to five hundred dollars per month. At retirement, the maximum payout is two thousand fifty-three dollars per month, and even that is taxed if you have additional income. But what would happen if a married couple saved three hundred dollars a month each over thirty-five years at seven percent compounded interest? You would have over one million dollars. The nearly $75,000 annual interest of income alone far exceeds the Social Security maximum annual payout. And you still have your million-dollar nest egg to provide for yourself and pass down to your children, your grandchildren, or even pay for your children's education. Ready to take your money back? Reduce the tax burden on America, and all of a sudden, there's more money circulating in the economy. Take your money back, and all of a sudden, our products and services are more competitively priced at home and abroad. Take your money back, and all of a sudden, it's profitable again to manufacture products in the United States. Take your money back. And all of a sudden, American companies are hiring highly skilled, highly paid workers to meet their manufacturing demand. Take your money back. And all of a sudden, America would be the stable economic leader of the free world again. Seem far-fetched? It's not. Could the government operate without federal income taxes? Yes. Prior to 1913, there was no federal income tax. Don't we need the federal agencies that federal taxes support? No. Agencies supported by federal taxes, such as the FDA, ATF, and the IRS, are regulatory agencies. Not only are these federal agencies unconstitutional, they are illegal. The free market would regulate itself better with greater efficiency. Americans would be richer and freer. And the cost of these agencies have grown out of control. The Bureau of Economic Analysis Statistics for 2005 reported the average salary for the 1.8 million federal civilian workers is $106,579. The average salary in the U.S. private sector is $53,289, less than half. Wouldn't charitable organizations suffer? No. Currently, 75% of American families give to charity. With more money in their pockets, Americans would be even more generous with their donations. So, what would we give up? Nothing. Since federal income taxes support only 42% of the total federal budget, the government would still operate effectively with the remaining 58% of the budget. And federal workers would be absorbed into the burgeoning economy by the private sector. To put it in perspective, Reducing the $2.8 trillion 2007 federal budget by 42% would still leave $1.6 trillion, the same amount as the total federal budget for 1997. 
there would be no need for a national sales tax that only replaces one tax for another, and it will not reduce government spending. But these numbers pale by comparison if you consider the national debt. As of January 2008, our country's public debt is over $9 trillion. The estimated population of the United States is 304 million. That means each citizen's share of the debt is $30,241, and that's over and beyond what you pay in taxes. Regardless of which political party is in control, there's no incentive for politicians to reduce spending. The only way to end this spending spree is to take away the government's checkbook and credit card and let them know the joyride is over. conditioner is just as important as maintenance on your car. You don't know the big difference there's going to be until you've had the work done. I thought my system was working fine, but now it's better than ever. Galen Beatty did it for me, and he'll do it for you. Good servicing will not only keep your system performing well during the sweltering summers here in Houston, but it will save you money year after year. In my case, it cut my AC power consumption by 20%. Do what I did. Have Galen Beatty set up regular AC maintenance to cut your energy bill and prevent system failure at the worst time. And what's better than being comfortable and saving money? Whether you need a basic tune-up or it's time to put in a new super-efficient system, you should call BDAC, 281-222-9591. That's 281-222-9591 to schedule an AC system tune-up. BDAC and Heat. That's B-E-E-D-E-A-C and Heat.com. BDAC and Heat.com. I'm Gary Wilcox with Pet Floors of Houston. We specialize in luxury vinyl tile installations for your home or your office. We sell a high-performance floor that is perfect for anyone who has dogs or cats or is trying to get a floor that just looks beautiful without nearly the maintenance that other floors have. It's a heavy-duty commercial PVC product. It looks like wood or stone or tile. This is a floor choice that you find major retailers have in their stores or intimate cafe or even your fast food restaurants. The adhesive that we use is waterproof. The product is waterproof, and so therefore, you can use a bleach water solution, clean it right up, and gear it back to normal. It doesn't hold any odor, it's realistic, it's hygienic, it's affordable, and there's no click, click, click noise on it when you walk on this floor. It's just amazing. We've been in this house for about eight years, and we've had some hardwood floors down. And it was really one of those things that they were looking worn and need to be refinished, and we were really looking for an alternative. We found Gary with Pep Floors, and he came out and measured. The measurement process went very easily, and when it came to installation time, they came out here, did a fine job. The installers were great. The service has been great ever since. 
I love my new floors. They're great, extremely durable, and they just look beautiful. From a cleaning standpoint, from an overall care standpoint, you don't even have to think about what you're doing. It's, it's, there's no special care. It's, it's really nice. We actually have a mobile showroom, so I can come out to your home or office at a time that's convenient for you, and I can show you the samples that would look right in your home. I can even help you make decisions and coach you through this. It's not like I've done this one or two times, but I've done it many, many times. So give me a phone call, and I'm happy to come out there. I do estimates for you right there on the spot, and it's all free of charge. Pet. Pet Floors of Houston. PetFloors.com. As you know, this is the final stage in your examination. It's a rather informal test in which we try to get some line on your ability to think on your feet. Your reaction to stress and pressure. Clear your desk. Get your number two pencil ready. If you are ready, the Inquisition is about to begin. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. If you have questions, please refer them to the chat room and make them good. Go ahead. Make my day. yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? Live from Houston, Texas, a man who calls it like he sees it, without the normal political correctness he may have grown comfortable with. It's time for the Texas Perspective on current news and events. This show is not for the faint of heart or easily offended. Chances are you will learn something and along the way get to hear some great music from bands you may have missed. The doctor is in, and he will see you now. Well, I guess we better get on with it. I have no idea what just happened. I'm trying to figure it out now, so uh, I don't know what's going on. Crazy. I don't know if you can hear me or what. But uh, anyway, we're trying to figure that out. Uh, we've been having a couple of issues here lately, and I'm just not quite sure where they are coming from. And that ain't it. I just don't even know what to think. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and assume that I'm on the air. I don't know if I am or not. I really have no clue at all. Uh, something just got, went horribly wrong. So we're going to go ahead and carry on as as if uh, everything were working. Got a, a story here that I wanted to get to right away from the Killeen Independent School District. That happens to be up in north central Texas. And uh, the... Um, the crux of that matter is simply this. There's those guys, their taxes are totally out of control and they're just charging a gazillion dollars uh, up there for homeowners. And well, to put it frankly, as uh, my buddy Wilbur Witt has come up with, he said the uh, clean ISD is a predatory profit-based entity that is a danger to children and needs to be reviewed by the state of Texas. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, this is much more widespread than you might imagine. Yeah, it's going on everywhere, and it's uh, it's not getting better. And I don't know how in the world we're ever going to solve that problem. But uh, the school districts, like right here, my own school district, 
Cyprus Fairbanks ISD, which, as I talked about yesterday, is now partnering with Islam in order to have a more Muslim-friendly education. Right now, the debt load of the Cyprus Fairbanks ISD is uh, somewhere up up in the neighborhood of $2.1 million per currently enrolled child. Now, that would be good if they were never going to come back and ask for another dime. If it was simply a matter of they were going to say, uh, that's it, from now on, we're not going to ask you for any more money, you're good. But the problem is, I think that they're going to be back asking for money about a year from now. They're going to be asking for a couple more billion dollars on top of that. It's just not good use of the taxpayers' funds. It's, uh, it's taxpayer abuse is what it is. And something should be done about it. The real problem that we have here, and you may have that wherever you are too, is that the school boards here all own their own voting machines. And so what they do is they have elections, bond elections, on whether or not they're going to be allowed to borrow money, because after all, they need the permission of taxpayers to do that. And then what they do is they set up the election on an odd day when nobody knows when that election is really going to take place, and then they pick a polling place. They don't tell you where the polling place is if you're a taxpayer. The only people that actually know where the polling place is are the people that work there that benefit from the, uh, you know, being on the public tit, as it were. They're the only ones that actually know where these polling places are. Everybody else is just sort of screwed. So uh, the last bond election we had, we looked the night before on the Harris County, uh, Harris County Votes website, and the uh, polling places for the bond election were not listed anywhere. It was only through pure luck that my wife finally decided, well, I think they're probably going to have it at this school over there, so let's go there and see. And we went there, and that's where they were having it. But I bet you there weren't 30 citizens that voted the entire day in that. On the other hand, the school board and, or the school uh, administration made sure that every teacher got time off with pay to go vote for a pay raise. Every groundskeeper got time off with pay to go vote for the pay raise. Every coach got time off with pay to uh, go over there and vote for their pay raise. They made sure that everybody that worked in the school district, of course, that's uh, you know tens of thousands of people, they made sure they all knew, knew where to vote. But uh, the rest of us citizens didn't. And so when I got there, quite frankly, there was virtually no one in the polling place. The school board should never have been allowed to, A, conduct their own elections. I mean, how do you trust somebody to uh, conduct an election when they have a direct fiduciary benefit coming from that? How can you trust them? Well, I know teachers are always altruistic. They would never do anything that would be wrong. No, they would never do that. Well, we're going to ignore all those voting scams where the teachers rig the, I mean, the, uh, the testing scams where the teachers rig the test so that, uh, you know, uh, only the students that could pass the test would be able to take it. But aside from that, I can't believe if there's money involved that you couldn't trust the school board to do the right thing. But they also spent millions of taxpayer dollars to purchase these voting machines. Once again, this just doesn't seem like there's any good thing that can come out of something like this. 
I, I don't know what it would be if there is. So what we need to do is we need to, A, force the school districts to divest themselves of all their voting machines. Sell them to Harris County, for crying out loud. Harris County can always use voting machines. God knows that when I was the election judge in the last election, we only had three voting machines for nearly 1,000 people. So consequently, we were there from uh, 6.30 in the morning until midnight that night trying to get everybody voted. So uh, if Harris County had more voting machines, that would solve some of that problem. The second thing is school bond elections should be required by law to be held at the same point in time that other elections are held. But try to get that through the corrupt state legislature. Unfortunately, the corrupt state legislature is exactly that. They are corrupted. There's one or two or three good guys and gals up there, but that's about the extent of it. The rest of them are all in it for the money. I know they only get $600 a month here in in Texas as a legislator, but what they don't tell you is if they somehow manage to stay up there for 12 years, they get a nice little pension. Yeah, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year for the rest of their life, and if they stay there long enough, in some cases, that's uh, closer to seventy thousand a year for the rest of their life. Not a bad deal, huh? But they don't tell you any of that when you're out there trying to figure out uh, who's going to vote and what they're going to be voting for. Meanwhile, I wanted to uh, bring up another situation because this was just too cool. Right here in Houston. A Texas father fought back after Child Protective Services illegally removed his daughter and then filed legal pleadings that were not supported by the evidence. The agency also went to court and did not notify the father that they intended to remove his parental rights. So a judge, Judge John Schmoody, a guy that I happen to know personally, has been here in the studio on more than one occasion, ordered CPS to pay the father's legal expenses and ordered CPS personnel to read the Constitution. Woohoo! <laughs> Go Judge Schmooty. Yeah, he said, this is not cool. How can you have a state agency that is breaking the law and doing stuff like this? Judge John Schmooty is a family court judge. He just got elected last year. And he sanctioned Child Protective Services, the most misnamed group in Texas, and ordered them to pay $27,500 in attorney fees. He also ordered them to read the United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights in the Texas State Constitution. The detailed order, which I'll get to in a minute, was signed by Judge John Schmoody and the associate judge, and it details the egregious actions by CPS. Now, we talk a lot about CPS on this show and how horrible they are. Dennis Slate was the lawyer who asked for the sanctions. Slate told Breitbart that he got involved in the case because he said, I saw a lot of irregularities in the illegal removal of this child from my client's home, and they did it without a court order. And I immediately filed sanctions uh, motion to prevent them from being able to dismiss their case to avoid being held accountable for their gross violations of the Constitution. You see, that's how it usually works for these guys. What they do is they uh, they realize they've been caught, and so they just uh, you know throw all the stuff in the trash. Say, what? Eh, never happened. Never, never saw anything about it. Anyway, 
During a lengthy hearing, Associate Judge Paula Vlacos and Judge John Schmoody agreed that the agency must be held accountable. And this order demonstrates how the Child Protective Services and the uh, attorneys in the court must first understand their respective roles and secondly, have the courage to vigilantly exercise their duties in order to protect children and to safeguard the constitutional rights of parents. In this case, in the interest of uh, judge of the uh, family, which has just uh, got initials here, JMM, Judge John Schmoody found that the allegations and the contentions in the pleading filed by the agency had no factual support and sanctioned the agency under the procedural and other legal rules governing court proceedings. And in his order, he noted that CPS and law enforcement and juvenile probation officers may take possession of a child without a court order under certain well-defined circumstances. So uh, I'm going to play a little bit of this, and I'll be right back. We're going to finish the story up. You just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called, and you're potentially involved in a homicide, but it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have selfdefensefund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states, up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit selfdefensefund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. This October 8th, Farfest is back and bigger than ever before. This amazing live show features local music from the Green Brothers, Bayou City Swing, Mike Dodson, Old Man Rocket, Ash, and the legendary rhythm band. Farfest, Farfest 2016, this October 8th in Brookshire, Texas. Or contact Doc Green directly on Facebook. Send me a PM and I'll get you the information. This is a free concert. Come one, come all. It's a family affair. Laramore Media Group is committed to helping conservative candidates run for and win elected office. Running for office requires more than just desire. It requires expertise. Crystal Laramore is that person. She has helped many candidates make it past the finish line. Congressman Dr. Brian Babin says, I would highly recommend their services to anyone in politics or business who wants to have a professional edge in a competitive world. Call 281-332-5710 or email news at thedamngoodtimes.com. And the Doc Green Show is back on the air, uh, working in a uh, handicapped area right now because I can't hear my producer. All we can do is talk to each other via chat. And uh, so when we get ready to go to music and stuff like that, it's going to be an interesting situation while I try to figure out what button I pressed that made this happen. Trying to uh, figure out all the vagaries of uh, Internet operation. So anyway, I wanted to get back to this story uh, in the, in the case of uh, Judge John Schmoody, the uh, after a child is removed with a court without a court order, Texas law mandates that CPS show that there's actually a continuing danger to the physical health or safety of the child if the child were to be returned to their home, or there has to be evidence of sexual abuse 
and that the child must be at substantial risk for future sexual abuse. It's contrary to a child's welfare to remain in the home, or and reasonable efforts were made to prevent or eliminate the need for removal, and all of these things must be shown by the agency in order to meet the burden of proof under Texas family law. But, um, so anyway, those are the requirements, and as it, was, as it turned out here, they didn't meet those requirements. According to one attorney that I spoke with that deals with CPS all the time, she said CPS here in Texas, and in other states, quite frankly, has become more of an adoption agency. They try to find pretty kids, and when they find pretty kids, uh, then they, they adopt those kids. And that's what they're doing with it, and that is totally and completely unacceptable. So, as set out in the order, the agency filed a motion to modify the conservatorship for the termination of parental rights. There was no imminent danger to the child when they removed the child. In fact, CPS personnel told the father that the basis for the removal was that they had made a mistake. (laughs) Oh, gee. Hey, we're taking your kid because we made a mistake. Well, we got to take your kid because we made a mistake. The court also found in its sanction order that CPS admitted that the child had not been injured and that the pleading filed with the agency contained no information indicating any imminent danger to the child on the night that she was removed. Now, you got to keep in mind, CPS is doing this. This guy, the only reason why he prevailed was because he somehow was able to come up with $30,000 to pay a lawyer. What if he hadn't had that money? Would he, would, he, uh, would he have been able to do it then? No. He'd have lost his kid is what would have happened. And this kind of stuff happens all the time. The uh, court order uh, details the facts in support of the findings that they knowingly misled the court with statements in the caseworker's sworn affidavit and with a sworn testimony in an ex parte hearing as required by Texas Family Code. Let me see if I can find you some of this stuff, because this is ridiculous. Now, it's redacted, so I'm not going to be able to read everything. But uh, let's take a look here. Child Protective Services knowingly misled the court with statements in the caseworker sworn affidavit and with sworn testimony on the September 22nd uh, hearing, ex parte, which required which is required by Texas Family Code. And I believe that what that means, ex parte, means that the father was not invited. But anyway, Jamal Goodman, the uh, same caseworker who had monitored and closed the PCSP, uh, returned the young lady to her father after staffing it with his supervisor, after staffing it with his supervisor, and had visited Jenna in his home after her return, prepared the affidavit, and testified. CPS failed to disclose to the court that the child had been returned to her father. CPS failed to disclose to the court that the return home had been approved by the CPS supervisor. CPS admitted, implying to the court in a sworn affidavit that the child had been removed, Oh, okay, ex parte, misled with sworn testimony. Okay, thank you, producer Frank, helping me out here. Um, 
he, uh, they led the court to believe that the reason the child had been removed without a court order was that uh, Child Protective Services was no longer willing to house the child. They were misrepresented to the court that the father had been notif- noticed of the uh, September hearing. He had not. And then the father testified that had he known about the hearing, he would have attended. His counsel was not provided with notice of the hearing either. The caseworker's sworn affidavit failed to state that uh, <clears throat> the child had been returned to his home. The uh, caseworker's sworn affidavit deliberately led the court to believe that Jenna had been removed from her previous home, and that the reason for the emergency removal was that they could no longer keep Jenna there. So she, they had her in a foster home. One of, the, what, one of the reasons why this is so important, guys, and you probably already figured that out, this is traumatic to the child. And this is a situation where the mother and the father were divorced, and the mother's still mad at dad, so she's trying to make life hard for dad. But the child is being used as a pawn in this situation. What if the father had not had enough money to be able to hire a good lawyer to protect him and his child in this? This goes on, said that uh, CPS knowingly filed a groundless lawsuit when they had direct knowledge of the circumstances that existed regarding the child at the time she was removed. CPS intentionally misled the court during the hearing that she had been removed uh, from her foster home and intentionally misled the court in sworn affidavit that accompanied the petition that she'd been removed. Conscious, CPS consciously failed to inform the court that the child had been returned to her father and intentionally admitted the caseworker's sworn affidavit that the child had been returned and that they failed deliberately to give the father or his attorney notice of this hearing that they were going to have without him. <laughs> so the court finds that in, the, in view of the fact that the father had spent $27,500 in attorney's fees as a result of their misconduct, then uh, the court finds that CPS must pay those fees. Oh, my God. This is incredible. This is the second time that uh, the board-certified family lawyer has been successful, Dennis M. Slate, has been successful in getting large monetary sanctions against CPS for a parent. The last time a state district judge in Houston awarded monetary sanctions against CPS of this size was back in 2011 when Judge Michael Schneider of the 315th District Court ordered the agency to pay $32,000 in attorney's fees to a Houston area family. As reported in the Houston Chronicle, the case also involved the agency filing a groundless cause of action, and Judge Schneider ordered the caseworker and her supervisor to write a report showing that they understood the laws governing the removal of children from their family homes. This particular story is actually written by a judge as well, Lana Shadwick, I know Lana personally. She's she's a great lady and, and uh, used to be a family court judge. But this is a bad deal. CPS should be ripped out by the roots. And I've advocated for that for a long time. 
CPS should just be ripped out by the roots. For those of you that are new listeners, and we have a lot of new listeners, uh, I'm still waiting for the list of cities of all the places where people are listening, but Fredericksburg, I know that uh, two stations down in Fredericksburg, uh, you can listen to my show on now. Um, I have long advocated that we get rid of CPS. All welfare belongs in one place. It belongs in the hands of the church, and welfare should be in no other hands. Now, I know there are people out there that don't like the church. I know the Catholic Church has had its issues. But are you more likely to find people with altruistic motives in the church, or are you more likely to find people with altruistic motives in a government job? That's a valid question. It's not a rhetorical question. And I think you know the, I think you know the answer to that. Anyway, I'm going to hit this break. Going to be right back on the Doc Green Show. So y'all stick around. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. The amazing Doc Green Show is on the air. TV and radio are great mediums for mass instruction, but for those times when you just want to hold something in your hands, there is the damn good times. I still love the newspaper, but I'm tired of the liberal bias. That's why I reach for the damn good times. Always full of interesting stories and great information, and you can have it delivered to your doorstep by calling 281-332-5710 or sending an email to news at thedamngoodtimes.com. Just $50 a year will get a full subscription. It's a great gift for all the patriots you know. Do it now. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. from Vita Scientific. If you have high blood sugar or type 2 diabetes, these are serious medical issues that require immediate attention. Did you know that it's possible to actually reverse high blood sugar and diabetes by using simple, natural products proven to balance your blood sugar? It's time to do what I did. Take control of your life. Vita Scientific's clinically tested formula will help you to feel healthy and energetic. These breakthrough supplements, along with small changes in your diet and exercise plan, may be the answer you've been looking for to set you on the path to optimal health. These products will not interfere with your current medical treatments, so start getting excited about feeling great again. Please visit VitaScientific.com or call VitaScientific at 210-520-8432. That's 210 520 
8432 to learn more. Tell them Doc Green sent you and get 50% off your first order. Call now. The doctor is in. Well, the doctor is in. Doc Green, Raging Elephants Radio and AVRN, American Voice Radio Network. Glad to have all of you with me. Yeah, uh, Facebook has blocked me. Yesterday, I accidentally, and it was accidental, too, let me tell you. Yesterday, I accidentally, when we were trying to figure out some of our issues here, um, we were, uh, I accidentally played some music by Chicago, and uh, that was it. That's all it took. Uh, they blocked me right off of there, said, uh, well, you can't do that anymore. So uh, Steve O'Brien says I'm coming through. Of course, I think he's listening on terrestrial radio, so that's good news. But uh, CPS needs to be gone. We need to hand this off to the church. Same with all, all welfare should be the province of the church. So um, I'm trying, trying to run two businesses here today, and trust me, it's not going as well as I would like. See, C- uh, CPS... And all welfare needs to be run through the church. The government has no business being in the welfare business. The government has no business collecting money for such things. The government has no business spending money on such things. If you need welfare, here's where you go. You go to your family first. Now, if you've been such a slob and you've burned that bridge and your family hates you and they wouldn't loan you 50 cents because they know you'd spend it badly, then you go to the church. And you go to the church with your hat in your hand and say, look, I've been a bad boy, but I'm going to be a good boy from now on. If you guys just help me out, I would so appreciate it. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And, of course, having worked in the church for a great many years uh, on the Benevolence Committee and for part of that, we don't turn anybody down. You come in with a problem, we're going to help you. That's what we're there for. We're the church. On the other hand, uh, we do want to help you. That means we don't just give you cash. That means we say, okay, what's the problem? Okay, uh, you got no food? Great. Here's the pantry. Um, go in there, and the ladies will help you pick out enough stuff for meals for the next week. That'll take care of the food problem. Uh, they're going to turn your electric bill off? All right, bring that to me. Okay, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and get that paid up so that your electric won't get turned off. Now, how'd you get in this mess, Bob? Like to drink a bit, eh? Well, Bob, we're going to have to quit that drinking. You know, we're going to have to cut that out. Uh, but we'll help you with that. Stick with us. We care. And that's kind of the way the church works. And I've seen it firsthand. I've seen dozens and dozens of lives turned around and changed. I remember one guy that when he came to our church service, I used to do a lot of street ministry, when he came to the church service, And he got filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time. He said, wow. He said, you know, I was doing heroin because that was the feeling I wanted to get. But no matter how much heroin I took, I never felt like that. But, you know, I come here, I get filled with the Holy Ghost, and all of a sudden I feel great. Well, so we thought that was pretty eye-opening. Anyway, point is, that guy went from being a drug addict to being a productive member of society. We had a kid one time that got, uh, got saved to one of our ministries out on the street. And later on, we went back and talked to some of his teachers, and they said, oh, we were all afraid of the guy. We were afraid he's going to kill us. His uh, mother said, yeah, he had a lock on his room door, and I was afraid to take it off because I, you know, I was afraid he might kill me. 
But I got a little dose of Jesus, and all of a sudden everything changed. The government cannot do that for anybody. All the government can do is take money and waste money. That's all they know how to do, and they can't do anything else. You can't trust the government with anything. So um, anyway, I'm glad CPS got got, uh, their pee-pee whacked on this one. Uh, I think we need more of it. And then I think we seriously need to look at just getting rid of CPS, period. I think we need to look at just just, uh, cutting them off, solving that entire problem, and and uh, just just getting just getting rid of it. Meanwhile, I don't care where you live in the United States. This story matters to you. For the second time in the last three years, U.S. Border Patrol is apprehending more non-Mexicans than Mexicans along the southwest border. This reflects a renewed surge of the Central American migrants coming into the country. Now, I brought you some of this story a couple of days ago. It's, a, it's an ongoing problem. In fact, I'm going to see if I can get my buddy to call in, my buddy that lives on the Rio Grande, and get his testimony on it, because uh, he's, he's right there. He is on the border. I know he said that uh, the river down there is where the drugs are, the killings, the mutilations, and the bribery. He asked me this morning, he said, so where are our citizens? Where are our congressional potentates? The citizens working long hours to pay for all this debauchery. The chosen ones making plans for new ways to do less with more money. Craziness, guys. That's what it is. It's absolute outrageous craziness. Now, here's the thing. I'm reading this to you in a news story, but the truth is, guys, this isn't even the half of it. It is much worse than what they're going to tell us about in this story. But it goes on to say that many of the apprehended people down there are children traveling alone or some in so-called family units from El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras. And according to the most recent uh, statistics from uh, Customs and Border Protection, Nearly two-thirds of the apprehensions occurred within the Rio Grande Valley border sector spanning much of Texas' south, southernmost tip. I can tell you that, that we went down there. We went down there. We were in Brownsville, and uh, we got somebody on the line right now. Let's see how this goes. May need a volume adjustment on this, so get ready, Frank. Uh, Brian, come on in here. Hello, Doc. Hey, Brian. So, um, are you... Go ahead. Uh, well, I was calling in. We had uh, talked earlier about me calling in today. Oh, that's right. Okay, now I know. All right, yeah, now... Yeah, you were running for... Uh, you were running for the state house. Yes, sir, I was. And uh, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, because um, you didn't quite make it, but you got awfully darn close. Brian well, Slayton, yes, guys. I did. And uh, I don't know, have you been listening to some of the coverage we've been doing on the voter fraud here in Texas? Um, no, I, I, I haven't had a chance uh, recently. I've been pretty swamped and uh, getting caught up on things at work. But, uh, but I do know about uh, some of the things going on, I'll say that. And, yeah, it's pretty troubling, isn't it? Well, it's real troubling. And the fact that a guy like you got that close to winning and didn't win uh, – 
we've discovered that this has happened with a lot of good conservatives across the state of Texas, and we're seriously concerned about voter fraud here in Texas because of this. Uh, and Dr. Laura Presley, for instance, uh, she has discovered that um, every place where we've had people lose, there was also an overvote. Like in the case of Lord Byron's election, uh, they had 1,770 and change voters that, that uh, voted in that election, but that's 1,770 voters that, that more than there are in the county. Yes. And I don't yeah, know if that yeah. happened in your election or not, where there was an overvote where more people voted than actually live in the county. Well, we don't have that confirmed yet, but I can tell you that the process, uh, of looking into that and making that determination has begun. There are some, some people that have started requesting information and they're looking into it um, just to see if there, there was a problem. So we don't know as of, as of yet. Um, I, hope, I hope to find out soon, but I, I haven't heard anything uh, this week from them. Well, this is one of the things we've been looking into, Brian, because um, – well, let's face it, we've got a pretty important election coming up here now with the presidency, and then the very fact that we're having a real problem trying to solve the problems of the Pink Palace. We've got way too many Republicans up there that act like Democrats. And mm-hmm. we used to think that we could solve this problem by simply voting, but it looks to me a little bit like the fix is in. And with the stuff that uh, Dr. Laura Presley found, uh, that really worries me. And once again, I would think that any time that you have an election and when you get the results in and you find you got more votes than uh, actually have voters in the uh, in that voting district, I would think that should be thrown out immediately. Your thoughts? <laughs> well, yeah, something should happen, uh, you know, but the, the problem uh, problem is, is you you only have. So many days to contest an election and or do a recount and then contest it. And with, you know, say you make a request to a county and they take over 30 days to get you the information, you missed the window. And uh, and then you also, I think you got to look at what's historically the way they've done recounts, right? They just yeah. rerun the ballots through the machine and it doesn't change that much. But with what Laura Presley's done... And Direct Action Texas, you have Laura Presley that she's apparently found what they're doing electronic voting in Direct Action Texas. They found what they're doing with mail-in ballots. So they're doing it two separate ways and uh, may not even be associated, you know, in, in how they're they're doing it. Just one group's doing it this way and other groups are doing it another. So, uh, yeah, something needs to be done. And, and as I've uh, talked to people and heard, I mean, a lot of our, our problems – is there's no teeth in the law. It's like if you, um, if if someone in your county or city or violates the Open Meeting Act or the Public Information Act, there's no teeth for the public. All they want you to do basically is uh, set aside two to three years of your life and spend thirty, forty thousand dollars in legal fees to get them to get a slap on the wrist. And so that's from what I. I I've heard a little bit of the problem is some of these uh, violations, there's just not teeth. And that's what hopefully this next session, the things I've been hearing, hopefully we can uh, get some serious legislation to both floors 
and voted on that will bring teeth to these crimes and manipulating elections. Well, you know, the the very idea, and this is what we've been fighting, you know, seriously, the very idea that uh, you cannot vote these people out, there doesn't seem to be any good way to solve the problem. I mean, uh, it's just, uh, mm-hmm. it's a real big deal. And it's not going to get any better unless we can somehow come up with a way to solve the problem. And in the case of uh, Lord Byron Cook's election, I think what needs to happen I mean, he should have just stepped down immediately as soon as he knew there was an overvote, but instead he didn't. Uh, his excuse being uh, that, uh, uh, well, you know, it's uh, too late. Uh, as you just mentioned, it kind of timed <laughs> out. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they, this they is how they continue to, to bulldoze us, the plutocracy here, and continue to ignore the will of the voters, Brian Slayton. Yeah, and and all we do is we, we keep fighting. And pretty soon, when it gets to where, you know, nothing you do seems to matter, we have unelected bureaucrats making decisions for our lives. And, uh, in, in fact, you know, I understand that um, head of elections, Secretary of State, he was wanting to make some changes uh, to election, uh, the election policy and procedures without a you know, vote from the people or from our legislators. I mean, people just get fed up and have enough, and there's plenty of people who've already there. <laughs> there are <laughs> had enough, and then there's others that are waking up. But that's a, a part of what happens, I believe, in the way our government's set up. And eventually, they're going to have to face music one way or another. Whether you know everybody's fed up, had enough of what's going on, or they actually start making changes and listening to the people. So uh, it, it's it, it's really saddening to see where we're at, and that's even taking it easy. I mean. It, it's it's terrible to to think that you know people think their vote matters and to have this and what I'm going to say because the you know the the trials hadn't uh, the courts haven't ruled and trials hadn't happened and whatever but this this high possibility that your vote didn't matter and that there's there's people and forces out there manipulating that, that's troubling and then you add on to that doc. Uh, that uh, if you do a recount, the perception amongst the public is that you are somehow a sore loser and you're wasting taxpayer money just to figure out that you lost, right? That's what kind of the way they perceive it. But a recount, the candidate has to pay for that out of their own pocket, and all they're wanting to do is verify the election. Make sh- I, I just, It's just a double check to make sure the results were the results. That's all they're asking for. But the media and the public tend to take that as a sore loser, and then you know they kind of you have that stigma the rest of the time. And, um, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, I got I'm sorry. Feedback. Feedback. Uh, but anyway, uh, they, I, I they lost you there. Some kind of a sore loser. You said the media and the and public take it that way in every every campaign after. Uh, so. Right now, yeah, you mentioned that you're challenging some of this. No, I, I know some people that they they've seen what's been going on around the state, and they've taken it upon themselves to uh, to do some public information requests to get to get some of this information to look and see if votes match up. And uh, and I said, let me know if you need any help. I mean, I was I was happy they were wanting to do that, and I've been thinking about it. 
and um, it just all kind of worked out. And they they told me they're they're asking for information, and well, that's all I know where it's at. They're asking for information. I don't know. The, any way I look at this, Brian Slayton, it just kind of stinks. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk to you about uh, your thoughts. Obviously, you're trying to do something. This is the problem that we have so often: is there are people out there that want to complain about it, but they don't do anything. But you did something. You took your time, your money. You put it out there. The objective being to solve the problem, and. Uh, and and uh, as I, I I think you got defrauded. Well, I've had some other people tell me that, and you know, and the fair answer is, I, you know, I don't know, and that's what we want to look into. But even with McNutts, is because they're past the the recount and challenge date. I honestly, even if they were to find blatant fraud, I don't know if that would be enough for a judge to change who who the rep is. Um, and, you know, and what's interesting, like mine and McNutt's race is we have a lot of similarities, uh, that both of us won early voting and both of us not up losing by not by less than 1%. We're the only two that lost by less than 1%. So I was, um, you know, I, 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 and then there's also the other factor, all the extra voters that showed up in Texas, no one was planning on. And so oh, yeah. we had a, we had a heck of a run at it though, but yes, it, it's troubling with what these people, Direct Action Texas and others, have found. Well, I know that uh, here uh, in in Harris County, I know that the uh, the guy in charge of voting security, who I, ha- I happen to think is a pretty good guy, I don't I don't have any reason to doubt that he is, but uh, nonetheless, what he's coming up with is uh, he's saying, "No, nah, vote secure, it's all good." But it looks to me like if you've got a situation where uh, you've got an overvote. That's insecure. It's not good, and and it should be called what it is, Brian Slayton. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And uh, for instance, you know, the Secretary of State, their their numbers for each county in Texas is dependent on uh, just what the county tells them. That's the only factor, and and they don't match up. You know, the numbers that the county has is different than what the Secretary of State has. And then with Hill County, you know, you got the combination forms, you got the precinct level, they don't match up with what the county says. And yes, we deserve to have verified elections. And um, that's bottom line. We have to have that. Uh, for our, our former government to work, we have to have verified elections. Well, I know I've been pushing, and I think pretty much everybody here at Rage Elephants Radio has been pushing to go to a paper ballot situation. And the reason why we'd like to go to a paper ballot is we want there to be an accurate, easy-to-read track record. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know what your background is specifically, but I do a lot of stuff with computers, and I happen to know that optical character recognition is very good now, and it's very inexpensive. So we could have a printed ballot that you could just uh, mark out with a magic marker. And, uh, you know, so, you know, it says, uh, did, you, did you vote for Judge John Smith, yes or no? You know, and, and, and very easy. Anybody can pick that up and look at it and see what the vote is. And mm-hmm. then they do the optical character recognition machine to count the vote, and it'll go very quickly. We'll have an accurate vote count, and if there's a protest later... Then come back and say, wait a minute, there are there are four thousand paper ballots, there are three thousand people in this county. What's up? 
you, yeah. you, you yeah. see the and, point. And on top of that, yeah, and on top of that, what what would be wrong with uh, every voting machine, every every tape they print in the voting process, from the zero tape to the, to the summary report, what would be wrong with, by state law, every one of those tapes have to be up on their website? I mean, it's public information anyway. The well, audit yeah, log exactly. The Why not? Machine. Yeah, the, the, the audit log is a big one. And then even even printing off the, the program for the for the voting machine, the, the main county voting machine, having that, uh, the, the language, telling the, the program how to work, what's wrong with having one, you know, like, just like you print a zero tape, present the, the, the language in the, in the coding, and then after the election, put that up. And, of course, that's not going to mean a lot to a lot of people, but the, the engineers, uh, computer engineers are going to be able to, to look at that, our grassroots people that do that, and they're going to be able to look and see if anything's been jacked with. Any coding, any, yeah, you know. and that's what we need to have. But yet, it's like the powers that be, uh, going all the way to the governor's office. I might, uh, might as well tell you, uh, do not want that to happen. I don't know if you're aware of what they're doing to Adrian Heath and Jim Jenkins down here in the uh, in the Woodlands area. No, I'm not familiar with this, Well, they discovered this road utility district scam. And the way the road utility district works is a construction company comes in, stakes out an area that they want to develop. They move a trailer in there. They create a voting district. The only people that are allowed to vote in that district are the people that live in the trailer and work for the company. Oh, yes. I've seen. Okay. I know what you're talking about now. Yes. Yeah. And then, then they set that up, and then, and then they immediately start taxing all the people in that area. Uh, in, in this case, it was uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. And Jim Jenkins and Adrian Heath said, wait a minute, this, this isn't right. Uh, we, we can't do this. And uh, so uh, they, they discovered, with a little bit of research and talking to the uh, 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 elections division up there in Austin, uh, they discovered that uh, your voting residence is whatever you declare it to be. And so they checked out this company, and they found out that two of the uh, voting members of this board lived in a, quote, hotel there in the Woodlands. So Jim Jenkins, <laughs> Nathan, he said, well, if they live in that hotel, I guess we will, too. So they moved into the hotel, declared that to be their voting residence, and got themselves voted onto the board. And then, as soon as they were on the board, they voted for an audit to be done on that company. Well, they, they called Tommy Williamson, who happened to be the state rep at that point in time. Tommy Williamson called Greg Abbott, who was at the time the attorney general, said, Hey, Greg, now I'm paraphrasing here. I didn't actually hear this conversation, but I think it went kind of like this. said, Hey, Greg, this is what we pay you for. Stop this mess. We can't have, we can't have just mm -hmm. common citizens down here getting involved in, in our little uh, uh, you know, money-making business. You've got to stop this guy. And so uh, Greg Abbott broke his own precedent, his own registered law, including what his own attorneys in that office said, and uh, prosecuted these guys for voter fraud and threw out the election. That's Greg wow. Abbott. Wow. So, so this corruption goes all the way to the top. And I've got yeah. recorded. I've, I've got the recording. I, I'm going to have to pull it out and play it again here. But I got the recording of uh, Joe Callhavy, who at the time worked in the uh, Secretary of State's office in the Elections Division, saying that Greg Abbott was breaking precedent and breaking acknowledged Texas law and prosecuting these guys. Hmm. 
So and they're just trying to expose corruption and, and get that yeah. utility district off their back. That's it. They they said this is not right. You shouldn't be able to just set up here and start taxing the citizens if you're the construction company that's directly going to benefit from all the funds that are raised. Mm-hmm. But yet that's wow. what's going on. And now Greg Abbott is not the attorney general anymore. He's the governor. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. voting fraud yeah. business goes all the way to the top, in my humble opinion, Brian Slayton. And I think what happened to you has happened to a lot of good people who were not necessarily going to tow the uh, uh, plutocratic line when they got into the Pink Palace. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I've, I've had people uh, voice some of those concerns with me, and then it, it's also interesting some of the some of the advice people give along the way is is they, they tell the good guys that you just have to beat them bad enough that the fraud doesn't matter. And I just think that's a terrible way to operate because, I mean. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that, that's just terrible. I was like, if they do it to you once, they're going to do it to you again. So it's not like it's not like next time it's going to be better, you know. And, yeah, I I, I don't understand that as well. It, it, well, and, of course, the other, part of, yeah. the other part of my problem with that is simply this. If the fix is in, and I think it is, you can write a computer program to give you any desired outcome based on the input. Mm-hmm. So if we've already got a problem, how do we solve that problem once again by voting harder, which is essentially what you yeah. just said. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, vote harder. And that's why, I mean, there's got to be more accountability. And, there, and that's why I think um, all, the, all the information from the machines should be on the website, on the county elections website, within seven days, whatever, something fairly quick. And that way, everybody can see if we're going to use electronic machines, which I, I think paper ballots is the way to go. Um, but but if they're going to do electronic, we, we need to see what the coding is. And we need to have accountability there. But they don't want to give that away, apparently. Well, apparently I mean, not. I remember right, Laura, Laura Presley requested the audit log. And uh, basically... I think I they told they the didn't have the county it. was like, well, the, no. I think from what I understand is the county was like, if she gets it, make her get it in discovery. And it's 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 a part of the Public Information Act, but yet it's this make her get it in discovery, make her spend money, get lawyers to get information that she should have to begin with. Yeah, and, and, um, and simply pointing out to them. Uh, that there's malfeasance, apparent malfeasance on their part, and uh, it should be looked at. But mm-hmm. yeah. you see the way the government operates right now. It's just like uh, what happened with Terry Holcomb over in uh, in, in Hempstead there in Waller County. Uh, mm-hmm. The DA doesn't want to obey the law. Terry Holcomb comes out and says, uh, well, you guys are breaking the law here. You need to take those signs down. And uh, what do they do? They sue him for $10,000. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you from my, uh, you asked my background, I was in the ministry for 13 years, and, and now I, I went back to school, changed careers, and I work at our family business. We do taxes, bookkeeping, payroll, and all that. And a lot of our clients, we have several that are home health care. 
And it's funny, you know, we, we, we say, hey, we just want verified elections. We're just wanting accountability. We want to know one vote is one vote. And who and that person's alive and well. You know, we want to make sure they're they're able to vote. And uh and you look is at what happened. You know, <laughs> yeah. And, and and so there was a, a this business, it wasn't our client, but they were accused of Medicaid fraud. Uh a Medicare fraud, sorry, Medicare fraud. And um but they had done business with about 13 of our clients, which out in rural East Texas, there were some patients that needed care, and they shared a nurse was what it was. So hey, instead Brian, of each of them sending a nurse to the same – yeah, they're just saving money. Well, hey, so Brian, Brian this guy, let yes. me, i got to hit this break. Let me hold you over. Hold that thought because I want to cover that okay. when we get back on okay. the Dr. Right. Show. Right back. scientific. If you have high blood sugar or type 2 diabetes, these are serious medical issues that require immediate attention. Did you know that it's possible to actually reverse high blood sugar and diabetes by using simple, natural products proven to balance your blood sugar? It's time to do what I did. Take control of your life. Vita Scientific's clinically tested formula will help you to feel healthy and energetic. These breakthrough supplements, along with small changes in your diet and exercise plan, may be the answer you've been looking for to set you on the path to optimal health. These products will not interfere with your current medical treatments, so start getting excited about feeling great again. Please visit VitaScientific.com or call Vita Scientific at 210-520-8432. That's 210-520-8432 to learn more. Tell them Doc Green sent you and get 50% off your first order. Call now. TV and radio are great mediums for mass instruction, but for those times when you just want to hold something in your hands, there is the damn good times. I still love the newspaper, but I'm tired of the liberal bias. That's why I reach for the damn good times. Always full of interesting stories and great information, and you can have it delivered to your doorstep by calling 281-332-5710 or sending an email to news at thedamngoodtimes.com. Just $50 a year will get a full subscription. It's a great gift for all the patriots you know. Do it now. Hello, I'm Gary Wilcox with Pet Floors of Houston. We specialize in luxury vinyl tile installations for your home or your office. We sell a high-performance floor that is perfect for anyone who has dogs or cats or is trying to get a floor that just looks beautiful without nearly the maintenance that other floors have. It's a heavy-duty commercial PVC product. It looks like wood or stone or tile. This is a floor choice that you find major retailers have in their stores or intimate cafe or even your fast food restaurants. The adhesive that we use is waterproof. The product is waterproof, and so therefore, you can use a bleach water solution, clean it right up, and gear it back to normal. It doesn't hold any odor, it's realistic, it's hygienic, it's affordable, and there's no click, click, click noise on it when you walk on this floor. It's just amazing. 
We've been in this house for about eight years, and we've had some hardwood floors down. And it was really one of those things that they were looking worn and need to be refinished, and we were really looking for an alternative. We found Gary with PEP floors, and he came out and measured. And the measurement process went very easily, and when it came to installation time, they came out here, did a fine job. The installers were great. The service has been great ever since. I love my new floors. They're great, extremely durable, and they just look beautiful. From a cleaning standpoint, from an overall care standpoint, you don't even have to think about what you're doing. It's, it's, there's no special care. It's, it's really nice. We actually have a mobile showroom, so I can come out to your home or office at a time that's convenient for you, and I can show you the samples that would look right in your home. I can even help you make decisions and coach you through this. It's not like I've done this one or two times, but I've done it many, many times. So give me a phone call, and I'm happy to come out there. I do estimates for you right there on the spot, and it's all free of charge. Pet. Pet Floors of Houston. PetFloors.com. The doctor is in. Yeah, the Doc Green Show live and on the air from Houston, Texas. On the Newsmaker line, I have uh, none other than Brian Slayton. And we're discussing some of the peculiar things going on with voting here in Texas. And when we left off, you were discussing uh, some uh, some taxing issues with a home health care uh, provider. Well, yeah, yeah, and we're mainly how they view small business with fraud versus whenever the people want accountability with elections or with the government, how they treat it so different. And all I was saying is there's this, this company that was accused of Medicare fraud, and it wasn't our client, but we had 13 clients who had done business with that, that company. So when they were arrested, the, the owner was arrested for Medicare fraud, they put 13 of our clients on vendor hold, which means – they, wow. see, they wouldn't get any reimbursement. And so they were on their 13, 14 months vendor hold. Half of those businesses shriveled up, went away, went out of business. The other six are limping along and don't know if they'll ever survive. And so it was an incident and slow death for 13 of our clients because this guy was suspected of, of committing fraud. And I don't remember right now how that one worked because they arrested several different businesses, and hey, if the guy committed fraud, put him in jail. Fine with me. Um, if, he, if he's scamming money, great. But why are you shutting down at least, I mean, this is just our clients, 13. Who knows how many other businesses that they had shared nurses out in you know, the middle of nowhere, East Texas, to save money, and, uh, and they weren't ever accused of doing anything wrong. And so, and, and they seem to be happy with that. Why they got, let's say they get, did get the, the guy. Great. One guy, they, they, they found him for credit and fraud, but what was the wake, uh, you know, of what they did? And then on the other hand, we're wanting accountability. We're wanting public information. And uh, do we get it? You know, and, and, and we're vilified for that. And so it's just, a, it's just a problem for small business owners and for grassroots people to be treated like this. Almost no matter the issue. I just don't know how to solve the problem, Brian Slayton. I mean, it's, it's killing me. Uh, the way that we treat people now and, and what we're doing in small business, I mean, I know that since uh, uh, Barack Obama uh, went into office, uh, we've had over 600,000 companies gone out of business. And you see them everywhere. Uh-huh. I've started yeah. taking pictures of them and uh, posting them on my Facebook page as monuments to Obama. Yeah. 
I believe, uh, wasn't it this past quarter or when was it this past month, we had more people in, in the nation, more businesses closing than starting. Yes. And, and I, I know businesses that, that are just hanging on, and they don't even know if they're going to make it through the next election. They're just praying to God that uh, Donald Trump gets elected instead of uh, the uh, wicked witch of the East, uh, Hillary. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I believe in Texas, I think it's like 98% of employment in Texas is from small business. And what big regulation, taxes, or any regulation and taxes, who they hurt the most and first are small businesses. And that's just, I mean, you know how this is. Taxes aren't really paid. They're just passed on until some guy can't pass them on to someone else. And it's normally sure. the small business guy, the little guy. And considering that we are the, the, the driving force for our economy and the jobs we create in small business, and that we're the ones that take the full brunt of all this, yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm with your frustration completely. I mean, we see it with our, our business all the time. And then to see it transferred over to elections where, where we're just wanting verification, right? We're just wanting accountability, and we can't get it. Uh, in many cases. And so, yeah, I'm with you. This is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Brian Slayton, is because voting harder is apparently not working. The government (laughs) has proven itself to be a lawless band of thugs. So when you realize you're ruled by a lawless band of thugs, what is your recourse, Brian Slayton? (laughs) Well, um, uh, I mean, we have examples in history of, you know, petitioning the government. I mean, that's what the the colonists did um, before their de- declaration of independence, and we are, I believe, are trying that. I, and and I'll tell you, I, you know, whether it's you know at times how the the Republican Party doesn't listen to its base at times. The way I've explained it to people is like Martin Luther nailed his ninety five theses to door of the church in Wittenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, he. Uh, he was just trying to reform the Catholic Church, and it was the Catholic Church that kicked him out, excommunicated him, and hunted him down. And he wasn't trying to leave the church. He wasn't trying to create another denomination. He was just wanting to reform it. And yeah, I hear that just simply pointing out, hey, the Bible is the Constitution, and you guys are outside yeah, of it. Let's that's get right. back into that's it. Right. And you and you got grassroots people doing it with with the party. You've got uh, citizens doing it with the government. And when when people aren't listening or they're being deaf for far too long, or whatever. All, all, I mean, I believe that the colonists, they, I mean, they exhausted everything possible. They listed their grievances, and uh, it, and the pastors, that was a big thing back then, the pastors were preaching those grievances from the pulpit. And, uh, and they finally said enough. And uh, there, there's definitely people in our country for a long time, and that have said, okay, this is enough, things need to change. And it, it appears that there's just this deaf ear turned to us, and it, it's continuing to go. So that, that's all I know is to keep trying. And, and you know, when you get to the breaking point, I, I mean, how do, you, how do you know that, right? There was, there was people like Benjamin Franklin that was there long before some other people. And uh, so I, I don't know, but we're, we're – all we got to do is, and I say all we got to do, we have to keep trying. We cannot give up, and we have to make them either, you know, grind us into little bits or 
I mean, that's really the only way I know. You should never give up. Keep fighting for our principles and values in our, our country, our Constitution, our Christian values. We can never give up. And that's the only way I, I know to tell people. And and so, I, you know, I don't have anything specific other than keep doing information requests, keep finding things like there's no teeth in, in uh, people to violate the Public Information Act, uh, try to find ways that we can or get legislators that will present bills that will help hold uh, information officers accountable, get um, less power to these bureaucracies, um, get more accountability with our elections. And, I, and that, I, I don't know how, uh, other than just bringing um, concern, talking about it on your radio show, writing about it, telling your neighbor about it, and asking your legislator, what's wrong with with taking the information from the machines that's supposed to be public information and just telling them it has to be on their website? Just like their their um, when they they let everybody know their announcement about their city council meeting, right? They put that on the website. And they have to post it in the courthouse. What's wrong with posting those tapes? It's not that big a deal, and, and, and get people to do that, um, legislators to push that agenda. That, that's the only thing I know is to keep trying. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Is well, just keep trying. I, I'm reminded. I think it was I think it was Bear Bryant, uh, the football coach, that said, "I've never lost a game. I just ran out of time." <laughs> so Brian Slayton, that's what I'm worried about. Maybe we're winning yeah. the game, but will we run out of time? Yeah, and that's possible. I mean, when when you look at what's going on in our country, with what healthcare is doing uh, all across the board, you know, in, in October people will be signing up again for Obamacare, and there's people are probably going to be shocked at uh, their premiums. And um, well, I won't be one I mean, of them. We got that. Well, we got that. We got banking. We got. Yeah, I'm glad you're not one of them. I'm not one of them either. But I mean. I mean, we got so many things that are going on in our country, and and yeah, I really do worry that that as well. And and as I knocked on doors, talking to constituents, I knocked on over six thousand doors out in the country, and I had many. I mean, I remember specifically five older men I talked to that said, you know, I was ra- I was raised and lived in America when it was the best time to ever be alive. And he goes, I'm, they said, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I feel sorry for you. <laughs> because I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be gone in five or ten years or less, and really not my problem. But where I feel sorry for you and my grandkids, y'all are going to have to live in all this. And and you're right. I mean, there's a lot of people. There there was not a lot of optimism when I was out knocking on doors. And, um, and so, yeah, time is, time is a problem. Pardon me. I didn't mean to do that. Well, I just uh... – <laughs> I don't know how we're going to solve the problem. This is uh, this is what worries me, Brian Slayton, is the fact that we've got all of this and it's working against us, and it's going all the way to the top. You see, and I used to be one of those guys, and I thought all I had to do was go to work every day, try to figure out my taxes and pay them, and vote Republican, and everything was going to be just fine. Well, here in Texas, we've got total Republican hegemony, and we've had it that way now for uh, 16 years, complete Republican hegemony in Texas. And yet we can't get rid of the property tax, which is a communist idea. Uh, That's the whole idea of communism. The state owns everything, and you get to use it as long as you're willing to bow down and kiss the glove. 
And and yeah. in your case, I mean, Brian, you don't own your home, you don't own your property, you don't own any of your business properties. Uh, you get to use those as long as you write that check to the state every year. That is communism, oh. Brian Slayton. Yes. And, Doc, you will love this. So it was like two or three years ago, and this is, this is no lie. My dad, uh, we went to refinance our, our office building, or the, the part of the building we own, and uh, we couldn't do it because they claimed we were, the Wells Fargo said, that Dallas County said we were tax delinquents. And if you knew my dad, uh, if he ever gets audited by the IRS, the, the, the auditors are going to show up and say, so you're the first person who ever kept seven years of everything they ever did. I mean, <laughs> my guy keeps, my dad keeps everything. And uh, they said, you didn't pay your taxes fully. And he's like, that's a lie. Yes, I did. And so Wells Fargo was like, well, we went and looked. And yes, you have paid every penny they charged you. But Dallas County had a rounding third penny, like in the movie Superman 3 and in Office Space, the rounding penny. Right, Office Space, that was a good one. (laughs) And we owed them them one cent, is what they said. And we had paid to the penny every bill, tax bill they had given us for however many years back they looked. But somewhere in there, paying our bill fully allowed us to accumulate a rounding penny. That And and, uh, so when they told us we had to pay it, uh, I told my dad that we would not pay, or my dad said he wouldn't pay it. And I said the only way we had accepted is if the county judge came and apologized in person and brought us a check for a penny and um, or whatever, a, a written apology. And anyway, wound up how it ended is Wells Fargo paid it. Wells Fargo paid that penny just so they could get bad lenders off their list, which we weren't. We had paid our bill, but the county said we were. And... <laughs> And then, yeah, and then one other thing, when I first got called, you were talking about the border, and, and you know, uh, my understanding of, of Texas history is that the Texas Rangers worked themselves out of a job five times, all at the leadership of the governor. And I've told people what, we're gonna, what we need to do with the border. It can be fixed. We don't have to wait for legislators to get in. The governor, under his authority, can get the Texas Rangers well, here you are talking my language, Brian Slayton. I've been saying this for for the last three years on Raging Elephants Radio. The governor, if he had any balls at all, would stand up and say, all right, Mr. Federal Government, we don't need any of your help. We're going to solve our own problems. That's right. That's right. And we've done it in the past five times. Well, we've done it more, but five times the Rangers worked themselves out of a job. That's how good and how effective they can be. And uh, I really wish the Texas Rangers would have the authority to go do what we all know they're capable of. Well, I am just so ticked off by this whole deal. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. once again, we get back to, I mean, we can't get a guy like you in office uh, because I believe the fix is in. And we can't get our elected officials to pay any attention to us. I mean, uh, Ted Poe won't come on my show anymore because the last time he was on my show, I asked him the question, well, why have you abdicated your authority? Why are you not defending us against this uh, domestic enemy in the White House who's destroying our country when you are constitutionally charged with that? And he got very upset that I would even ask him that. And... uh, what brought that up this morning, I heard he was on AM 700, and I called him, and I said, why don't you ask him this question? I, they didn't ask him. <laughs> they wanted you know. to come back on, I guess, huh? Well, yeah, they, uh, they, look, they just asked off-ball questions like, uh, well, uh, hey, there's a big election coming up. What do you think we ought to do about Hillary, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, the very well, fact you know, that Hillary my, is even running, is even being allowed, the very fact that she's even on the street being allowed to run for president proves that our 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 system is broken. So, Brian Slayton, I'm back to that same question. Once you realize you are ruled by a lawless band of thugs, what is your recourse? <laughs> what the Constitution calls for, <laughs> or the Declaration of Independence says to do, is you petition your government, and then not. I mean. Well, we've petitioned the government plenty. I think the government knows. Yeah. That satisfied. I think you can look at the rating of Congress, and when you realize that only 27% of the people in the United States think Congress is doing a good job, that's a pretty good petition if you ask me, Brian Slayton. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I, something's got to be done, but all, you know, and, and what I tell everybody, you know, all options are on the table. Uh, I mean, we, we have to. If we really care about our families, um, because I mean, when they start, you know, um, regular elections or or putting in regulations that kill small business or high taxes, and, and it hurts uh, it hurts families from providing for their family and, and achieving the American dream. Yeah, something something's got to be done, and and it really all depends. Are we at the point of no return, or can we fix it? I mean, yeah, it's a problem, and they're ignoring us. Can it be fixed? And that's the question that I, you know, I don't know. Who can it be? Well, right now, there's plenty of of things that make you think it can't be, right? Because it's very well, discouraging. I, and, I don't think and, the United States can be saved. I don't think there's any possible way to save it. I am rooting for Donald Trump. I'm encouraging everyone to go out and vote for Donald Trump because. I would like to think if we voted big enough that maybe we could still uh, beat out all of the voter fraud. Uh, so I'm, I'm begging everybody, yeah, get out there and vote. Go out and vote for Donald Trump. But uh, I think Texas independence uh, is the answer, and I think that uh, it may take citizen militia to get it done, Brian Slayton. That's just my feeling. Yeah, well, Texas would definitely um, definitely survive better than the other states Uh Absolutely, and, and you know uh, what was it? The, I was thinking of what you were saying that um, just slipped my mind. But yeah, um, well, one well, thing we need to try to change in matter. Texas. I'm, oh. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. That's okay. One thing we need to change in Texas. What what I see is, you know, I, I'm glad that we meet, you know, 140 days every other year. But yeah. what it seems like, you know, to me is that's also been used as, as an excuse, as a crutch to, to say, hey, because of that, we want to hand over this authority and decision making to these councils of government, you know, even give us authority to utility, these special utility districts to, to uh, our bureaucracies to make decisions. And, um, and then the, the legislators, you know, show up and kind of just rubber stamp what either TxDOT or whoever has said we need to do in their interim study. And, and that that's a lot of our problem there. I mean, um, that's kind of really how I first got plugged in with a lot of people in my area was fighting a toll road out here that, you know, the North Central Texas Council of Government was pushing that no one wanted. The data showed it wasn't there. And um, and I was helping fight on that. And um, and all that was going to happen, it was just going to be rubber stamped from their transportation committee to TxDOT, and then 
the state legislature would just say, well, the studies have been done, the public hearings have been had, so let's just vote it through, and they move forward. And so that's one thing I'd like to see uh, in Texas is, is get more of the decision-making, important decision-making happening from our legislators during that time there in Austin and uh, spending less time talking about shark fins and things like that. <laughs> well, here, I got a great idea. And, and since you just got done running for office, and and, and uh, should we somehow survive for another two years? I hope you're going to run for office again. But uh, I think we ought to start electing our officials based on how many laws they uh, they will go on the record for uh, repealing during their first uh, term in office. Hey, uh, it's not so a you, Brian Slayton, how many laws are you going to repeal when you get in, when you get in office? Um. I'm not sure because I'm uh, whatever number I tell you I'm going to learn about more in the next six months, and it would so I would I'd have been lowballing you, uh, but no I, I don't I don't I don't know I don't, what number to put that on, but I, I can tell you from what they're you know, I'll talk to you about home health care. I mean you know what they're doing to deer breeders in Texas, Texas Parks and Wildlife. Uh, no, I don't think I do, Brian Slayton. Fill us in. Give us a little news here. Well, there's a disease called chronic wasting disease, and I'm actually working on an article to give to an organization uh, here in Texas. Chronic wasting disease, um, it doesn't affect humans, and here's how we know. Uh, In chronic wasting disease, let me explain it. Um, They don't know how the the deer, elk, antelope, they don't know how they get it. I think that's what our politicians have is chronic wasting disease, yeah. but go ahead. Yeah. Well, it, it tells it tells their brain that they're not hungry and they're not thirsty, and it takes four to seven years to kill them. Well, a deer's long, you know, the longest they'll, they'll live is 10, 11, 12 years, but right. the average age of a white-tailed deer in Texas is three years. Three years. They're killed by a vehicle, bullet, or arrow. Well before they're killed by well, chronic wasting disease, get to the, where they would have died yes. from this disease. Yes, yes. Now here's and, and here's the problem. So it it doesn't affect humans at all, and the way we know that is the state of New York butchered 200 white-tailed deer and fed it, fed them to the homeless, and mm-hmm. then monitored them for five years and realized mm-hmm. it didn't affect them. So then. Uh, what the state, other states are doing is if they find a deer with chronic wasting disease, they will then eradicate that herd in the area. And in one place, I believe it was in Michigan, they basically eliminated family hunting for generations. Wow. And, um, and so these small business owners, that's what they are. Just like people breed deer, they breed horses and cattle, and on and on and on. There's people that breed white-tailed deer. And... And the state of Texas, by the way, that's the only animal in Texas that you can't own. You can hunt fish, you can hunt pigs, you can hunt whatever, and you can actually own them. They're your property. But you cannot own a white-tailed deer. And I believe, from what I've been told, is we are the only state in the nation that you cannot own white-tailed deer. So you could, like a a Texas Deer Breeder Association, Somebody bought a $250,000 unborn fawn a few years ago that never belongs to you. It belongs to the state of Texas, and you talk about regulation. These deer breeders have a lot of regulation. But what they're doing is they're forcing business owners to test their animals. And I can tell you, uh, somebody I know, they had a deer that was worth $12,000. The state of Texas wanted to 
made them test it, which means they had to kill it. And then they test it for CWD. If it and, and if it did, doesn't have CWD, they you know they offer you fifteen hundred dollars in compensa- compensation and say thanks for letting us test your animal. Um, and then if it did have CWD, then they come in with state employees and eradicate your entire herd and quarantine your land for five years. In fact, there's one family in Texas that had that that they found CWD in their herd. They forced them to stay in their home, and they will not allow you to take pictures or video of them eradicating your herd. I mean, wild and in your pits. They'll kill every deer. And like I say, quarantine your land. That small business is done. That that land is now worthless because people can't. I mean, neighboring, say you live next door to that, and you let people come out and hunt, people pay you to hunt. Yeah. They're not, they're not going to do that. And that's, that's yeah, that's a This this is uh, like the BLM uh, up there on the Red River, though. Same deal uh, by by imposing their liens on all these ranchers that have paid taxes on all this land for some cases over a hundred years. Uh, they've made their land essentially worthless. They can't borrow any money on it. They mm-hmm. can't, uh, mm-hmm. they, you know, they can't plant anything. They can't they can't do anything. And yep. once again, our okay. governor. Uh, has failed to stand up for these ranchers. I mean, he's he's uh, he's written a couple of sternly worded letters, but that's that's the extent of it. He spends the rest of his time uh, selling bumper stickers and books. Yeah, well, and I'll tell you, if if Texans don't think there's a problem, um, whenever whenever the hunting industry is taking a hit, you know things. In my opinion, you know things are bad. You know, uh, whenever I mean, that that's what they're hitting. They're hitting the small business in the hunting industry. People they they vilified high fences. Uh, high fences aren't bad. Um, what what it, the goal is conservation. And for instance, you know, chickens they're they're not very uh, strong, sturdy animals. They're very fragile. But the reason there's millions of chickens and they're not extinct is because human beings have farmed them raise them and and they have and and they produce food on well, the same way with the white-tailed deer i mean we, the conservationist the small business owner the hunter they're the ones that take care of the hunting population that make sure there, there's animals to hunt and for families to enjoy and people to have food to eat and, and in texas uh you know that that's a little bit under attack <laughs> and, and oh, there, no doubt about it down. hey we got to take and, a break uh, brian slayton can you hang with me through the break i'm enjoying this conversation okay. gonna be right back with brian slayton don't go ahead the amazing Doc Green Show is on the air. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. 
Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. from Vita Scientific. If you have high blood sugar or type 2 diabetes, these are serious medical issues that require immediate attention. Did you know that it's possible to actually reverse high blood sugar and diabetes by using simple, natural products proven to balance your blood sugar? It's time to do what I did. Take control of your life. Vita Scientific's clinically tested formula will help you to feel healthy and energetic. These breakthrough supplements, along with small changes in your diet and exercise plan, may be the answer you've been looking for to set you on the path to optimal health. These products will not interfere with your current medical treatments, so start getting excited about feeling great again. Please visit VitaScientific.com or call Vita Scientific at 210-520-8432. That's 210-520-8432 to learn more. Tell them Doc Green sent you and get 50% off your first order. Call now. TV and radio are great mediums for mass instruction, but for those times when you just want to hold something in your hands, there is the damn good times. I still love the newspaper, but I'm tired of the liberal bias. That's why I reach for the damn good times. Always full of interesting stories and great information, and you can have it delivered to your doorstep by calling 281-332-5710 or sending an email to news at thedamngoodtimes.com. Just $50 a year will get a full subscription. It's a great gift for all the patriots you know. Do it now. The doctor is in. Well, you better know it. Not only is the doctor in, but we're talking with Brian Slayton. And uh, Brian Slayton, of course, just recently ran for elected office here in Texas. And we're discussing some of the problems here. Uh, Brian is one of those guys that, uh, you know, decided to try to do something about it, tried to make a difference. And uh, it looks like, uh, you know, the powers that be kind of stepped in to make sure that didn't happen. At least that's the way it looks to me. And now we're talking about right now, uh, you know, how the government is failing to apply their resources to the things that really matter. Uh Right now, illegal immigration, once again, is at an all-time high on our southern border, Brian Slayton, and, and, and they're spending money uh, trying to eradicate a deer problem when the average age of a deer in Texas due to hunting and accidents, uh, they, they don't even get to the point where it's a problem. On what planet does this make sense? No, uh, it, it doesn't. And um, and the, the only good thing is, is there have been some good people uh, fighting, Problem is, is not a lot of people know about the deer breeding business, right? I mean, that's very foreign to a lot of people, and uh, and they're they've been fighting, and they they actually went uh, the the Texas Parks and Wildlife told them to come with their own uh, come with us with a list of solutions that can help with this problem, and uh, the Texas Park, Parks and Wildlife, by the way, have stopped 
uh, killing deer to test them. They're now doing live testing uh, to make sure these deer uh, don't have a disease that don't affect humans. Um, and, and just to tell you how insignificant <laughs> yeah. this is, the, I believe it's for the past 12, it was 2000 to 2012 or 2002 to 2012, something like that. They tested the USDA reported there was, you know, over 100,000 white-tailed deer tested, and uh, I believe it was either 0.29 or 0.49 percent of the deer had actually had CWD. So you look at across the nation, 0.29 to 0.49 percent of the deer actually had the disease, but yet it doesn't affect humans, and most deer die from something else. They could die of pneumonia. Before, or, you know, before they die of of this, and and and, and they, like I say, the Texas Parks and Wildlife said, "Bring us your proposals." They showed up to the proposals, and the Texas Parks and Wildlife didn't take one of them and said, "Instead, we're going to do this." Basically, treating them like the like the rest of the bureaucracies do, where they they say, "Oh, we listened to you," and then of course. Do whatever they want. Yeah, you know, we, yeah, we we listen to you. We determined you guys don't know what we're talking about. We're the only ones that really know what's going on here, and yeah, you yeah, apparently Doc, don't understand Doc, what, what, the problem. So we're going to yeah, do what we're going to do. What else could you want? Yeah, what else could you want, Doc? I let you stand before me and talk to me. What else could you want, Doc? Well, <laughs> I mean, I I could want to have a few more of them stand before me. I mean, I've been reaching out to the governor's office on this legal immigration issue for some period of time. And the only way I've ever been able to talk to him was I had to hijack one of his meetings. And uh, so I showed up there with the rest of the media. The plan was they were going to have two of the TV stations there for media, and then I showed up. And mm-hmm. uh, the other two stations both asked, both asked the governor questions about sports. I mean, this is what passes for media today. And I asked him, I said, well, hey, Governor, you know, we got a real serious immigration problem, a legal immigration problem here. You know, why aren't we taking any meaningful steps to solve it? And his answer was, uh, well, we're spending nearly a uh, billion dollars on that. We bought us a PT boat. We run that up and down the river once a month. And uh, and we arrest some of these bad guys when they come through. And uh, so after he got done giving me his filibuster uh, spiel, he, he went on for about five minutes. And uh, and then I went for my follow-up, uh, which was rather than arresting them, wouldn't it be better if we just stopped them before they came across the border? And that's when the handler stepped in and said, oh, my God, look at the time. So, yeah, I would like it if I could actually just talk to the governor. And I, I'll tell you, when I was knocking doors, I had this one old man out in East Texas. Uh, he told me that his solution for the border was to uh, drop pamphlets on it, you know, make sure everybody knows in Mexico that you're allowed 10 free steps into Texas and the 11th one costs you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It, it was, he was a, he's a, he was a former military. He, he's a veteran. And he's like, just send us down there with box of ammo and it was just a funny, you know, he was like, we'll take care of it, tell them 10 steps free, 11th one cost you. <laughs> well, I uh, <laughs> I have insinuated, and I've told, I've, you know, the governor through the uh, the minions that I get to talk to, I said, look, you know, we got plenty of militia here in Texas. we got plenty of retired military here in Texas, and most of them will be happy to go down there and serve a month on the border on their own dime. Mm-hmm. So why don't you use that? Why don't we go ahead yeah, and close this border? Because illegal immigration is destroying Texas. It is absolutely destroying it. And uh, for some reason, the governor uh, doesn't seem to think that's a good idea, Brian Slayton. 
No, I mean, it, and what I come down to is what hurts families and small business. Um, that that's what you got to avoid. And and absolutely, I mean, it hurts our economy, it's taking jobs from people, and of course the uh, the crime that that has come along with illegals committing heinous acts on on our citizens and our residents, and which points you back to in history. Whenever Texans were in trouble and being, you know, whatever threat was in front of them, the Texas Rangers took care of it under the orders of the governor. And so, um, no. Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know who all can see my video feed today, but I'm holding up in my hand right now a stolen lives quilt cup because we remember all of the uh, Texans that have been killed by legal aliens. And I'm kind of fed up with it myself. But once again, I can't get anybody in public office to show any interest. And Brian Slayton, I mean, I've got listeners all over the state of Texas that, that listen to my show every day, and they all have the same concerns that you and I have. And that is that not only do we have an unresponsive uh, bunch of elected officials in the Pink Palace up there in Austin, and I call it that because they all think they're kings and queens and uh, better than us, but... Nobody, you know, nobody. You, you try to run for office, and then we got voter fraud. We can't solve that problem. I just don't know what it's going to take, but I'm afraid that we're kind of back to where it was when uh, Texas made that first declaration that uh, the government has become unresponsive, and therefore we are going to have to take things into our own hands. I'll uh, I'll leave it to you, Brian Slayton, for any parting words. Yeah, and I appreciate it because, yeah, I'm going to have to get back to work here. But but uh, like I said, I mean, there's so much concern with where we're at as a state and as a nation. And a lot of people have written off, like you said, they've written off the U.S. They think it's just, it's it's toast, and they think Texas is salvageable. And um, the problem is people got to make a decision. Where are we at? Uh, are we, or can, can we... Can it be reformed? Can it be changed? Is it too late? Yes, uh, how they're treating us, small business, uh, it is what it is. But can it be changed? If it can't be, I mean, that that's really where we're at. And and there's so much going on right now. I mean, the way I describe it back, you know, uh, I worked as a youth minister, and I would, you know, of course, talk about history at, at times. And uh, you look at a timeline. Uh, you know, we're living in a bubble. You know, like when you look at that line in history in school, and they're telling you these events happen. I really do think this is a dot with whatever's going on in our world, our state. It's it's all something's happening, and um, and and you know, I've, I've talked to knocking doors and friends. You know, there's some people think you know end times, and uh, I tell them that hey, that's possible, very well could be, but but God calls us to be faithful to the end. And, well, we uh, got You know, of course, uh-huh. what I like to say is God didn't put us here to hold the fort. He put us here to take ground. And uh, right. we're not doing so good right. in that mission, uh, Brian Slayton. That's right. Absolutely. And and one reason I, I, I love and respect Rafael Cruz so much is what he's encouraging pastors to do, because I really believe for us to have the change in our country we need, no matter how that takes place, the change in the country that we need, it, we have to have pastors in the pulpit that are leading, not just talking tough, but we need pastors that because their involvement, elections 
are being won because their involvement, bills are getting passed because their involvement in the community, bureaucracies are, are backing off on regulation. We have to have that leadership. And I, I really do think that a pivotal role in that is going to be pastors. And I was in ministry 13 years in it. And I'll tell you that to find true leaders is is pretty pretty tough to find. And, uh, and, it, and it's a little discouraging. So uh, that's that's what I'm hoping for is that we I mean we have a change all the way around in our in our country in our state and I think we're going to need like I say we're going to need the Lord's help of course and uh, we're also going to have to be diligent with what we've been entrusted with. Well, Brian Slayton, I I hope that you won't be a stranger to the Doc Green Show because I think we're like minded in a lot of respects, and that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build a coalition because. In my mind, once we get 10,000 like-minded individuals that care enough about this that they will show up at an event at the Capitol, uh, like we had one on September 3rd, uh, but if we could ever get 10,000 individuals that are willing to show up at the Capitol at one time and express their displeasure, uh, at that point in time, I think that uh, all of a sudden our governor and our lieutenant governor and our our, kind of waste of space speaker of the House, Joe Strauss, I think at that point in time, they say, hey, we better pay attention to these guys. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And that's what needs to happen. That's right. So I'm working on it. You're working on it. I, I wanted to have you on today because you were one of those guys didn't just sit back and talk about it. You actually put yourself into it, and you, you, you've spent a lot of your time and a lot of your money on this. And uh, and I want to encourage you. I, w- I want to tell you that my hat is off to guys like you that are willing to, well, to do you. those things. Well, thank you, Doc, and I appreciate what you do. And, you know, um, a lot of people thought I wouldn't have even got close because my opponent been there 14 years, had voted really well back in the day, and then since then has changed and uh, capitulated. And um, they thought I didn't have a prayer. And because uh, these rural East Texas races are tough, and and for us to have the campaign we did, uh, me running the first time, and by no means you know perfect candidate or anything like that, never thought I'd be doing it myself. To get within less than one percent, uh, it was it was a pretty awesome experience. But also, you know, when all these voting discrepancies come up, you always wonder. You know, I wonder what happened out in East Texas, and we yeah, don't know. Did, did I really lose by one percent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, or, or not, even, not, not even, yeah, or, or I wonder, you know, like you were asking, do we have a, a voter discrepancy like Hill County? I mean, that's just a fair question to ask. And could that change the election? <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, it could. So you just wonder. But the problem is, is you only have a short time to act after an election. And if you don't get all the information from, you know, the counties, then how do you how do you do anything? So that's the tough part. Uh, Brian so, Slade, yeah, I just want to you know you have an ally at Raging Elephants Radio. You have an ally in the Doc Green Show. Uh, I, I, you know, and I, I don't want you to give up, but I do want you to, uh, uh, you know, join with us and let's try to make a difference. And having a big megaphone has its limits, but it, it also has its benefits. And we're just trying to make more people aware of what's going on out there. Yeah, and I appreciate y'all doing that. Well, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate you taking the time to come in. And uh, meanwhile, I'm going to play a little music from my buddy Johnny Red out of Fort Worth. 
And uh, Thanks, then we'll Doc. be right back to finish this up. Thank you, Brian Slayton. Well, I thought I was going to play some music there. I don't know what happened. There it is. Got my mojo working. Just don't work on you. Got my mojo working, babe. It don't work on you. I want to love you so bad, baby. I don't know what to do. Going down to Louisiana. Give me a mojo hand. Going down to Louisiana. Give me a mojo hand. I'm gonna have all you with it. Keep you in my command. Got my bow. with the gun. The police are called and you're potentially involved in a homicide, but it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have selfdefensefund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states, up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit selfdefensefund.com. Any weapon, any state, 
anytime. And on the, on the Newsmaker line, I got uh, Andy Valadez. Good afternoon, Andy. Howdy, Doc. I was tuned in and uh, saw that you uh, had an opportunity for me to call in and chat with you a little bit about your show. Well, I appreciate you calling in. Uh, oh, uh, well, he's calling on the wrong line, so I have to. Rusty Monsey's just called in. Uh, I got to get him on the right line. Um, yeah, well, a- Andy, first of all, a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Okay, well, my name is Andy, last name Valadez. My company is Marketing Dynamics, which I started in 1999. We focus on technology, broadcast, entertainment, anything to do with the, pub- with the written word and publishing and startups. So what I like about your show is definitely the, the topic, and especially now that you're on a new network, and we come alongside people like yourself and implement uh, marketing principles that are proven. I do have a degree in marketing from A&M, and I'm also a Marine, and so I'm always mission-focused. Yeah, ne- ne- never uh, forget that Marines don't retire. Their uh, commission doesn't expire. Uh, the mission changes. Yes, so we're always on the attack. <laughs> but thank you for having me on the show. I wanted to talk about your show. I mean, it was great to be a listener on Raging Elephants. I know you, you simulcast and run your shows on that network, network as well. Now that you've moved over to American Voice Radio, uh, we definitely are reaching out to uh, conservative thought leaders, and that's what I love about all the guests that you have. They are experts and champions and have a voice and we want to be able to magnify that voice in bigger and stronger ways and so uh, you and i've been partnering up to reach out to uh you know advertisers to support the show because it is a business you know it does take dollars to run the show like you were talking about and of course with advertisers and sponsors they want to know you know what what benefits do i get for participating in the, in the platform like this uh just today for example with self-defense fund is one of my clients i'm reaching out to 90 open carry groups across the nation and so they all have an interest in being protected, you know, with litigation and so forth. But when you add up the numbers in those groups, it, it numbers in the tens of thousands of like-minded folks. And a, a platform like yours with radio enables us to repurpose the interviews and, of course, the commercials. That commercial you just ran with my voice. I hope it didn't scare everybody because the gunshot usually gets people's attention. <laughs> hey, I, I love the way that starts. That's why I like to play it. <laughs> Well, when I first played it for my, my wife to listen to, she's my first test sometimes and, you know, the shock value sometimes. But, I mean, it's life, life-saving information, life-saving litigation. I mean, the thing is, if you get, you know, you use your gun, your freedom is very valuable. And if you, uh, unfortunately, get caught up in the system, then your life's over, you know, for the most part. So, anyway, but uh, we've got some guests that we're going to be running on your show and looking for other guests. And if people are interested in participating in your platform, you know, I wish they, they would do like for them to call me and, Reach out to me so we can put together a proposal and a plan for them. Well, first of all, what's your website, Andy? How can people find you? Well, the fastest way to reach me, because my, my company website is kind of long, but I have all my social media links together. It's Andy, A-N-D-Y, Valadez, that's V-A-L-A-D-E-Z. There's an extra A in there, dot com. Again, that's AndyValadez.com. Phone number 713-560-3348. Again, 713-560-3348. All right. Well, Andy Valadez is a genuine good guy. I've known him for a period of time, and uh, we appreciate everything he does. He does a lot for the show, guys, and uh, I appreciate that a lot. And, of course, we are broadcasting from the selfdefensefund.com studios. And I see on the uh, other line here, I'm getting uh, my my border reporter in here, Rusty Monsies. Uh, Rusty, are you there? Yes, sir, I am, Doc. I'm sorry. I tried to get to you sooner, but I found a shady tree pulled up underneath and fell asleep. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Well, that means that things are peaceful on the border now, and uh, that means that the illegal immigration has stopped, right? Uh, not hardly. Uh, oh. uh, we're still getting a lot through. Uh, the uh, the Border Patrol has now got uh, portable uh, generator lights up on the uh, levee. Uh, that's to help illumination because there's enough coming through now that even with the uh, helo and their uh, uh, with the, all their equipment and everything, they're not uh, they're not uh, showing up so many as uh, the people that are hiding out, and uh, it's increasing. And uh, again, uh, border patrol's got their hands tied. They're they're swamped, and uh, we're just playing it through by ear and. I did have, in fact, uh, this afternoon, I had some guy that I think he was intending to pick up some people on the property. He came, pulled in twice to my long driveway, and I uh, tried to check him out, and he took off and made a circle, came making another welta, and tried it again. And this time, uh, maybe it was my pernicious smile. He he booked it for town, and I haven't seen him, although I got his tag number. Um but this is this is getting to be uh, uh, the way things are running. It, it's increasing. Yeah, I, I should clarify when you say he was there to pick up some people. This wasn't border patrol guy that was there to arrest somebody. This was probably the coyotes' connection on this side who was there to pick up a shipment. And uh, it's uh, this is this is ongoing. Uh, still, the amount of. Uh, of uh, seizures that the Border Patrol has made as far as uh, marijuana and narcotics. Uh, their numbers are increasing by the month. And uh, But here again, you have to realize that what they're getting is roughly a tenth of what is making it through to the states. That's right. And this is what the, and this is what the people do not realize. At the same time, the numbers that they're catching as far as people are concerned, there's still the majority of them are men. Where they, uh, we get a, a smattering of uh, uh, a woman, maybe, and a child, something like that. But the greater number are men, and these these are the, the biggest threat that we have going because the predominant number of these guys who are coming through do have criminal records, and they are here for ill intent. Man. And people must, they must realize and take note, jump up and down, scream and holler, and demand not to just, just you know, go after them. Uh, they've got to watch out their neighbor. Because here's the thing. You watch your, you want, you watch your uh, backyard for your kids. That's the way you need to do with your neighborhood and the rest of the country. Because if you don't, ladies and gentlemen, it's going down the toilet. Pardon my French. But well, where it's going, you don't watch. That's, that's what's going on. I don't know. I, I think I've seen a little uh, update here. Do I have uh, somebody else on the, on the line there, Frank? If we do, let's add them to the conversation. Talking with Rusty Monsies, he is actually on the border. He is on the Rio Grande. And so you're not getting this third hand. This is not coming to you from NBC via ABC, CBS. Rusty lives on the border. He's, he's one of the guys that have to put up with people breaking into his property every day of the week. Go ahead. It's, uh, but, uh, but it's, it's a real, it's, I can't, I, I can, I can elaborate and everything else like that, but unless the people start listening and paying attention about what's taking place and stop, put down the, the iPad, put down, 
their tablets, get off Facebook, start paying attention to their immediate backyard and report what they see. Because without that, these guys are really, they're going to walk in, they're, they're walking into houses in the daytime and at night farther up the line. And to me, the line is farther up north. I had uh, talking to some people and they found three men in their back, in their uh, pool room, if you will. They had slipped the lock and gotten in. And it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. Wow. The guy had not, had not been trained in self-defense. They would have taken him down and his family. Wow. He was able to corral them. He tied them up with their belts, called the authorities, and took them in. And as he found out later, they were all wanted for past violations, criminal records. Uh, one of them was supposed to have been wanted in Mexico for several murders and was under uh, uh, questions for a murder here in the States. Wow. So this is what you're looking at. Well, Rusty, I want to thank you for calling in. Andy Valadez, thank you uh, for calling in. i got to get out of here. Uh, you've been listening to the Doc Green Show on American Voice Radio Network and Raising Elephants Radio. Uh, God bless you. God bless Texas. But most of all, Texans bless God. There you go, my friend. Hoorah. We'll check you later. Bye-bye. religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Gentlemen, I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. My co-host, Alfred Addisk and James Corbett of the Corbett Report, will be here after the first segment of today's program. Uh, today is Thursday, September 15th, 2016. So let's get started right away with the market report. And uh, gold didn't have a very good day today. It was down $9 today at $1,314. Silver had a better day. It was up uh, 0.05 at 1909. Platinum, bad day, down five at 1034. And palladium, good day, up a buck at $659. So uh, gold and platinum, not so good for the day. Silver and palladium, a little bit better. Let's see what the U.S. dollar did today in the index. That was down slightly, 0.6. At 95.28, crude oil slightly higher, 0.32 at 43.90. Paper markets today, you had the Dow up 177 points. It's still down about 2% since last week, but it's up 177 points today at 18,212. NASDAQ was up 75 at 52.49. The S&P was up 21 at 2147 um most of it was driven most of the some of these numbers was driven you know by one or two companies uh on the day so um because there really wasn't a you know a whole lot of information on any reports out there that should have given these uh numbers uh the strength um today's sales of u.s retailers dropped more than forecasted in august indicating a um, yeah, there might be a little bit of a pause in some consumer spending. Uh, purchases declined 0.3% from July. 
the first drop in five months uh, after it was revised uh, 0.1% advance in the previous month. These numbers come out by the Commerce Department uh, today. The decline in retail sales, excluding autos, follows the 0.4% decrease in July. And again, that was revised lower. Uh, There's been a little bit of an easing in vehicle buying and uh, sales falling in seven of the 12 retail categories outside the autos. Uh, Even though with the low borrowing costs, cheap gasoline prices, and steady job gains um, should keep a floor under demand. And uh, wage growth remains slow and sustained weakness in consumer spending could limit any second-half economic rebound. So what it's telling you all in a nutshell is, uh, hey, you know, the consumer is not out there buying. Uh, you have, uh, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of pressures. Uh, their dollar isn't, you know, there's a, even though some might think there's a little bit of deflation uh, in our dollar, there's certainly not any deflation, mainly inflation when it comes to our living needs and, you know, food, health insurance. I mean, those are, you know, health insurance alone is, continues to rise at a significant pace. I mean, we talked about that on the program before, 30%, 40%, there's even some 70% increases on premiums this coming year. So, again, uh, a little more difficult for the uh, family of four uh, to go out there and to continue spending. From the Federal Reserve, uh, American manufacturers, uh, the output fell more than economists had forecast, of course. Uh, you know, they're never going to, economists are never going to forecast anything negative. They're all going to be positive uh, or not as bad. But again, it's another sign that the industry is having uh, trouble trying to find uh, some sort of a footing. The 0.4% decline of factories was the biggest drop since March and followed 4.4% increase the prior month. And again, this report was from the Federal Reserve. Uh, total industrial output, including mines and utilities, dropped. And there was also a steeper decline, um, a steeper decline than anticipated. You know, on the news today, everyone is talking about Ford and Donald Trump. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to talk about Pepsi. They made an announcement today that they're planning to close a distribution center in, I believe it's Pittsburgh. So it's going to impact 95 employees, you know, not thousands and thousands, but it's going to impact 95 employees in, um, well, maybe it was Reading, because they really don't say, yeah, this is is Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, The company recently informed Reading officials and the State Department of Labor and Industry that the plant will be shuttered on November 6th. It's It's unclear why Pepsi is closing the plant. They've been operating this since 1940, but yet, you know, they, no one really knows. Well, <laughs> I don't think they want the wrath of Donald Trump on them as he has been on Ford if they uh, came out with the, the real reason why they, are li- why they are leaving and closing the plant. And, you know, it's bad for their image. Um, so it, it's a big loss to the city. And, um, you know, no city can afford to lose jobs. And uh, so, uh, again, it's, it's, uh, they're not being very clear on why they're closing the plant. Well, we all know. <laughs> we just don't know what country they're going to, probably. 
And uh, the company had closed a warehouse in Schuylkill Haven about three years ago. And, and, and then they did lay off thousands of people. Uh, but they currently have operations in Allentown and Harrisburg. Maybe they're just uh, consolidating locations. But uh, this was a place that had operated since 1940. Uh, Tuesday uh, in Cincinnati, a bank, it's called the Fifth Third Bank, said it's going to shed 44 branches. They're going to sell five parcels of land as a way to uh, uh, bring in their costs. Uh, this announcement was made on Tuesday, and uh, they're going to continue to expand the branch, the branch closure plan. And uh, they began closing these branches uh, back in uh, a little over a year ago. A little over a year ago, they had closed more than 100 locations, and uh, this is the the latest cuts. And it's going to remove about four four percent of the uh, branch network. And um, they're going to save a little bit of money. And um, so by 2017, uh, it's going to be about 12% smaller than it was in 2015. And again, uh, people aren't losing their jobs in an economy that's a little more difficult to find an equivalent uh, job and equivalent pay. And then we have Ford, Donald Trump. Uh, and, you know, you got to hand him because he's absolutely correct. Um, you know, he's reaffirming his plans where he wants to slap a, a 35% tax on people who, corporations, manufacturing, who leave the states. And uh, Ford made that announcement um, that they were going to um, have a production shift to Mexico. They were going to move all production of its small cars to Mexico in the next two years. Uh, And, of course, they come out and say, well, you know, the production shift isn't going to result in any U.S. job losses. Well, you know, maybe, maybe not. It employs 8,800 employees in Mexico. The U.S. Ford employs 85,000 people. But what's interesting is between January and August, Ford shipped 265,000 cars from Mexico to the United States. And this is according to the Mexican Association of the Automobile Industry. Ford shipped nearly $4 billion worth of cars in the first half of the year to the U.S. If they were levied a 35% tariff on all those cars, Ford would have paid $1.4 billion in taxes for just the first six months. So for the whole year, it would be $2.8 billion if they stayed, um, that, that that would trans, translate to. That would be more um, than what Ford's profit was in the most recent quarter. And it would immediately make Ford cars more expensive for Americans. Christopher Rogers, he's a research analyst. He says if you put tariffs up, and American American consumers are going to pay more. Well, you know what? I'm not so sure. Consumers can't and won't pay 35 percent more for Ford. It's not like it's one percent or two percent. Yeah, you know, maybe consumers would. You know, maybe Ford would be able to. You know, tack on that percentage. But 35 percent. 
you know, consumers aren't going to go for it. So, you know, the prices on the vehicles might be higher, but I don't believe the consumers would pay for it. And uh, so maybe if Ford begins to lose those 265,000 vehicles that are coming to the states, well, then maybe they will just bring those uh, factories back or the production back here in the states. So uh, those vehicle vehicles will just sit there, and I guess that's kind of the uh, the debate right now. You know, if consumers aren't going to pay 35% more, will those job losses uh, be uh, hurt here in the states, or will they close those plants back and bring the production back here? I think they'll bring the production back here because I think they still want to sell those 265,000 vehicles in the states. Um, state pension funds, they're all awash in red ink. Um, guess who gets to pay for it? Sure, taxpayers. So you will eventually have to make up the difference. Uh, a lot of underfunding and the, the lackluster investment returns. State uh, public pensions are even deeper in the hole. So, you know, they, <laughs> you know those uh, folks who are hoping to uh, get their pensions, you know, they're going to be uh, changed. Uh, revised, eliminated, probably not eliminated, but uh, certainly uh, uh, cropped. And uh, still the taxpayer is going to be penalized for poor management of these pension funds from the states. New Jersey, the state has set aside just 38% of what it needs to make good on promises to current and future retirees. That leaves a shortfall that works out to about ten over $10,000 per person. And you hear Al say this all the time. <laughs> you know, what can't be paid won't be paid. Do you think just 38% they have will make good on promises? Highly unlikely. Um, they're just not setting enough money aside. State pension funds are looking at $1 trillion, a shortfall in what they owe workers and benefits. This was a separate report uh, from the Pew Charitable Trust. In the past two years, the unpaid bill for a budget category known as other post-employment benefits, that rose by 12% to over $500 billion. And of course, and again, healthcare benefits for retirees, that's what that represents, most of it. And these increases Increases like this are just unsustainable. The bill for underfunded pensions will eventually come due, even in states where retirement plans have been cut back or eliminated for the new workers. And most of your states, they've lost ground in 2015. Um, Their investments are coming up short. And after the losses in 2008 and 2009, most U.S. state pension plans have not been able to recover to funded levels seen in the early 2000s. Investment returns are not going to make that path any easier. So again, folks, they're going to turn to the taxpayer. Taxes taxes never go down. If if it goes down in one area, it's going to go up someplace else. And as long as we're there dishing it out every time they come to us for more money, higher taxes, they'll keep coming until, of course, there is, no more blood left uh, to take. Here was an Austrian study. 
Um, one in five. <laughs> I don't know. I thought this was kind of interesting. One in five CEOs are psychopaths. This is what this Australian study has found. This was released this week, earlier this week. And they found that about one in five corporate executives are psychopaths. And that's roughly the same rate as among prisoners. Except executives, corporate executives, never go to jail when they do things wrong. The study of 261 senior professionals in the United States found that 21% had clinically significant levels of psychopathic traits. The rate of psychopathy in the general population is about 1 in 100. 1 in 100. That sure sounds like a lot of psychopaths hanging around and running around. Um, and what's interesting, psychopaths have an incredible, an incredible ability to blend in. They come off as charming, intelligent. They mimic emotions that they really don't feel. They're, they're skilled actors. And their sole mission is to manipulate people for personal gain. Sociopaths are, are more likely to come off as hot-headed and may act more impulsively, demonstrating to others their lack of normal empathy. And you will find that these psychopaths actually find great success in the business world. So one in five corporate executives, if, according to this study, Australian study, are psychopaths. Uh, it's just like, you know, it's just another sign of the times. It's just, a, I, I, no wonder there's so much corruption. You know, it's just not there in, in, in corporate executives. You know, it's in Washington. I mean, you know, one in a hundred people in this country are psychopaths or considered psychopaths. And you have to be supposedly a psychopath to be successful. I mean, it's... I don't know. I just found it real interesting. The, the report goes on. If I have time, I'll I'll put it in our newsletter, The American Survival, for this week. It's not lengthy at all, and it's you know it's just interesting. And uh, uh, but again, it's a sign of the times. And um, I'm out of time. As I'm speaking of time, one eight hundred three seven five four one eight eight. That's one eight hundred three seven five four one eight eight. For all your gold and silver coin needs, make sure you visit our website and sign up for that weekly newsletter, American Survival, at dgscoins.com. Dgscoins.com. Stay tuned. Al and James will be here with you in just a few short minutes. condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, 
you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. I'm Alfred Addisk, and this is Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver, 1-800-375-4188. For all your gold and silver coin needs, our guest is James Corbett, a regular on the program. Uh, James is living, working in Japan. Gives us a, a foreign perspective and a global perspective. He is the founder, organizer behind the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, Report.com, some of the best writing you'll find on the Internet on geopolitical issues. And he is our guest this evening. Hello, James. I'm fine. Thanks for having me on again. Always appreciate it. Uh, I saw that you wrote an article entitled, Hillary's email scandal is much bigger than Clinton. Or Hillary, excuse me, Clinton's email scandal is much bigger than Clinton. Um. You're often, you observe the number of facts that are known. She used private and unsecured email service. She asked aides to wipe her servers. She withheld 17,500 work-related emails. She lied about receiving classified material over the server. And yet, what you're saying is that this is a bigger story than that. You're going back yes. in yes. part, and you're talking about Colin Powell. And you say Powell is remarkably frank about how he defied CIA, NSA, uh, former Secretary of State, and he uh, and he's remarkably frank about how he defied CIA, NSA, and State Department orders not to use personal computers, and how to avoid le- how to avoid leaving a data trail that could be part of the public record. Now, 
You point out even the FBI is involved in this. The FBI goes to remarkable lengths to create separate storage devices for investigatory material that they use to keep information from being FOIA'd. People can't access by the Freedom of Information Act request. You want to expand on that? Yes, I do. And I should preface anything that I say here by making sure that everyone understands I am no way exonerating Clinton. And clearly what she did was unacceptable and should be reason enough, let alone all the other reasons that uh, voters should not be voting for Hillary Clinton. But anyway, um, the point here is to say that this is, of course, uh, Clint, what Clinton did is unacceptable, but she's by no means the only person doing it. And this is systemic. This is system wide. And as you point out, uh, Colin Powell, in an email exchange that was just recently leaked, uh, released as part of this email release that's going on, um, was talking specifically about how to get around these uh, these these types of measures that uh, that are in place supposedly to catch capture all of the all of the correspondence that these people are involved in as part of their duties, which should be part of the public record and should be available uh, to FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests. But Colin Powell used a, uh, a personal computer that was routed through a private phone line that he bragged uh, was, uh, it wasn't just about uh, hiding, you know, whatever, correspondence with his friends. It was about trying to cover up doing business with foreign leaders at the time when he was Secretary of State. Again, the exact kind of thing that uh, Hillary should be in trouble for right now. So there it is in black and white. And that was Colin Powell in an email to Hillary explaining this back in 2009 when she was just first coming into the State Department. But as I say, it is much bigger than that. And uh, as you point out, uh, I've done a report five years ago now, how time flies, about the FBI. And they have all sorts of different uh, storage devices that they use um, in the when they are working on a case and collecting material for this case they put it into things called june files or zero files or i drive or s drive which is a type of holding place for this information before they move it into the final fbi record and of course, in the end, the only thing that is searchable by Freedom of Information Act requests is the final FBI record. So any of the stuff they don't really want people to find out, they just keep in those storage devices that don't get put into the system and you never find out about them and you can FOIA till you're blue in the face. You'll never find that information. And that was in the context of the, uh, the Murrah building in Oklahoma City, of course, blown up in 1995. Uh, there were cameras on the Murrah building and yep. across the street from the Murrah building that caught that not only the explosion, but of course, leading up to the explosion, caught uh, McVeigh on tape, getting out of the Ryder van and a second person, John Doe number two. That is on tape. There are witnesses who have seen that tape and talked to the uh, local Oklahoma station there about it. They did a reenactment of what was seen on that tape with that second person getting out of the truck minutes after McVeigh did. Um, but the FBI now officially claims that eh, we don't have those tapes. They're gone. Or, or we never had them or whatever they're claiming. That is their official um, position that they've taken in court. And there's a, uh, uh, an attorney in Salt Lake City, Kenneth Trenadu, who's been fighting the FBI on this and other matters for years now. He even got the court to order the FBI to go through a physical search, not, not just check your computer records, go through a physical search of what you physically owned to, uh, to, to, to really find these tapes. And they still, of course, haven't produced them. And 
let's be honest, they never will, because, of course, it would blow up the entire FBI case against uh, him. But that's just one example. And I want people to understand that FOIA, I'm not putting it down. I'm not saying people shouldn't be doing FOIA requests. There are There is good journalism that comes through this. There's uh, people like Jason Leopold and others who basically their entire journalistic career is doing FOIA requests and finding important information through that. But for the very sensitive information, it isn't going to come through Freedom of Information Act. They know how to get around this. And at every level, from Secretary of State on down, they are actively colluding to make sure that sensitive information doesn't get, uh, doesn't get found by the public. Well, we're not just talking about them getting around something that's annoying to them or using technology to kind of beat the system. We're talking about people in positions of power in public office who are required to enforce the law they have devised schemes to evade the law. For example, when you're talking about concealing videotapes in the aftermath of the uh, Oklahoma City bombing, what you're saying is that what you are at least implying and almost certainly have to be saying is that the, the FBI was functioning as an accomplice after the fact, at least after the fact. And then if you want to get into conspiracy theories, it may be that they were, uh, they were an accomplice before the fact of the explosion. Um, but my point is, they're not just, you know, some good old boys that are going to hide something in the left drawer rather than the right drawer. They're breaking the law. And this has been going on for 15, 20 years, if not longer, but they've been breaking law. And Colin Powell said, here's the way I broke law. And Hillary, she just got caught, and she's saying, well, I didn't break the law. I was told by Colin Powell how to do it, you know. Uh this is evidence of massive government corruption, systemic, systemic criminality being perpetrated by our own secretaries of state and the FBI. And can you name any agencies where you think this is not happening? Uh, I don't know, the Bureau of Parks or whatever it is. I, yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I think any time that you have, I mean, this could extend all the way from mere incompetence and trying to cover that up, right to active complicity. And I think you hit the button there. I mean, when you're talking about some files and things, yeah, it might just be trying to hide some shady business transactions of a single person or something. But when you're talking about, for example, the surveillance tapes on the Murrah building, that that points to one thing and one thing only, which, as you say, is the FBI actively covering up the crime after the fact. And why on earth would they be doing that? For the record, I mean, the, the very most generous interpretation that you can have, given all of the facts surrounding something like OKC, is that the FBI and the DEA, they did have agents and informants involved in that plot that were there. And the best they could possibly offer as a defense is, a, oh, well, it was a sting operation that got out of control. And I'm sure that will be the fallback if and when incriminate, more incriminating evidence ever comes out about that. But I tend to believe they were actively involved in that plot, and it was more part of a strategy of tension. But anyway, that all aside, yes, that is when you were talking about material that is that sensitive, they don't just misplace that or, oh, I don't no. know what, what happened no. to those tapes. I mean, that has to be done specifically to cover up some of the most unthinkable and horrific crimes that you can possibly think about. And that's OKC. Imagine how much worse that would be for something like 9-11. I agree. And one of the... When we're talking about law enforcement and a crime, one of the most important things is to maintain the chain of evidence. Videotapes showing what happened at the Murrah building do not simply casually disappear. They are tracked, okay? 
Officer Jones, he got this copy of the videotape from the building across the street at 447 on Tuesday afternoon, and it went into the evidence locker or whatever. And every time that thing moves, that chain of evidence is critical. It must be maintained in order to use that, that piece of evidence in the trial. And that means this is like registered mail. We don't just, gee, what happened? Anybody see that videotape? I think it was I think it was on the corner of my desk or, or where'd that go? Did John, you got it doesn't happen like that. This is a situation where they're keeping evidence and there is a record of who acquires the evidence at any given moment and who of they course. And of to. course they also yeah, they also have a legal obligation for that material. They I mean it is in their custody as part of a criminal investigation. So if it gets lost or misplaced, I mean that should be a criminal investigation in and of itself, especially with evidence as crucial as that. And think about this those tapes exist or at least existed at some point and were not used in the prosecution of mcveigh you have yeah. video evidence of mcveigh actually there at the crime scene you think that would be number one exhibit a in the case against uh in the case against mcveigh they didn't bring it up at trial why not you know there's always been a curious there's been an interesting question about mcveigh what happened to him so far as I know, I know. So, so far as I know, his body was. Nobody knows where he was allegedly buried, and it's not absolutely clear that he was even executed. Although I wouldn't be surprised if he was, just to just to uh, eliminate that string, close up the case. But do you have any opinion on what happened to McVeigh? Is it as was as reported? He was executed and uh, buried at some undisclosed location. Well, as a matter of fact, I do. Um, you can check out uh, episode 305 of my podcast, The Secret Life of Timothy McVeigh, and that is also up on YouTube. It's about an hour-long documentary about McVeigh and how he was almost undoubtedly a sheep-dipped special forces agent. Uh, that uh, The official story is that he, he basically tried out for the special forces, but he didn't get in. Um, in a letter that was even published in the New York Times uh, to his sister uh, when he was in jail, he said that he was actually accepted into the special forces and he was part of an elite team that was going to do things like assassinations and drug running. I mean, just think, pretty incredible stuff that for some reason or other tends to get left out of the McVeigh story. But in that, I also touch on that question about what ultimately happened to uh, McVeigh. And uh, I mean, it, it does get pretty crazy. Um, but you have David Hammer, who was uh, one of uh, McVeigh's cellmates when he was uh, locked away awaiting execution, who said that um, he told us many times he would vacillate on the issue from time to time. But the main thing was that he was not going to be executed, that the major, which was what McVeigh called the person who was running this plight, plot, uh, an FBI agent that was running the plot, was going to have someone infiltrate the execution team and that he'd be given drugs that would feign the appearance of death. But as uh, And he says the CIA and some other people use these drugs and they'd be taken out and he'd be given some kind of medica medication, blah, blah, blah. So that, again, that's coming from a convicted killer on death row. So you know, maybe let's not trust him implicitly. But you also had Susan Carlson of WLS AM radio who reported on that day that McVeigh appeared to be still breathing or what appeared to be shallow breathing even after being pronounced dead and his eyes remained open. And then um, afterwards, it came out, the prison officials admitted to using a decoy to throw the public off the trail of McVeigh 
um, who was ostensibly transported to a local funeral home and then cremated before his ashes were turned over to his attorney. But they admit they used a decoy uh, hearse to basically throw people off the trail. So no one knows exactly when or how this body was moved or where or what happened. All we know is that his attorneys were handed uh, some ashes and told, yep, that's him. So, yes, it's still very much an open question about Timothy and what ultimately happened to him. If I had to guess, I'd say he's dead. And I'd say that just because even though they may have promised him that he would be kept alive, he is an extraordinary, you know, loose string. You can't, yeah. <laughs> wherever to I stand agree. up and I say, don't think guess you, what, yeah. I'm still here. All of a sudden, right. everybody's got some splaining to do. I think they'd kill right. him if he was President yeah. Obama's eldest I agree. son. This isn't... Yeah, this isn't a Hollywood movie. They don't leave loose ends like uh-huh. that. They may promise uh-huh. that in order to keep people strung along, but I don't think they would leave that so that he could come out, you know, now and say, hey, guys, look, you know, and spoil everything. I, I don't think they leave those kinds of loose ends. I've got a little article here from the AFP, Asian France Press. Greece says EU IMF rift stalling Greek. That solution, this just cracks me up. It says a rift between the European Union and the International Monetary Fund on the way to tackle the Greek debt crisis is delaying its solution. What solution can there possibly be other than bankruptcy and write off the debt? Is there another solution that's actually viable? And it's the Uh, one solution they're not going to consider. Yeah, I mean, clearly there is no feasible way that Greece is ever going to be able to repay the mountain of debt that it now has that is admittedly unsustainable. I think the only question is how much can be written off and how much can they be, you know, how much blood can be squeezed out of the stone. And maybe the EU and IMF have differing opinions on that. And the IMF, to be fair, has talked about this before and has at least floated the idea that, uh, that this is an unsustainable debt and has to be to some extent written down, the EU, especially Germany, has been particularly uh, bloodless or, or cold-blooded in trying to insist that they're going to extract every single penny that they can. Um, but yeah, ultimately, what is what is the solution? I mean, there's no such thing as a happy ending to this, certainly not for the Greek people. And they're still looking for it. I mean, this is just crazy. How long has this been going on? They've been looking for a solution. There is no solution. They already wrote off half the debt anyway, and they want to write off more. And I'm wondering, even this this headline says there's a rift between the European Union and the International Monetary Fund that's stalling the deep, the Greek debt solution. Um, is there really a rift in the sense that there is a disagreement, or is it possible that they're just dealing with a stall? And they're intentionally saying, okay, I'm going to pretend not to agree with you, you pretend not to agree with me, and we won't get it. We won't have to actually do anything here for the next 90 days or six months. Do you think it's a stall or a rift? I think there is an element of good cop, bad cop to this. And I uh, think yeah. IMF has been trying to position itself as a better cop anyway. Maybe not good cop, but better cop. Uh-huh. And uh, the EU is going to take some of the flack here. And I think, again, that has something to do with the, the, the optics and the politics of this. Certainly the IMF has been the focus of a lot of scrutiny over its uh, its loans and, and predatory vulture-type loans to a lot of countries. And there was documents released back a decade and a half ago by Greg Pallast about the uh, 
the IMF riots, internal documents from the World Bank talking about how the IMF places countries into basically debt servitude, which leads to uh, IMF riots and then um, leads to selling off of public infrastructure at pennies on the dollar. This has been documented and noted even from within the ranks of the World Bank itself. So the IMF definitely has a pretty bad reputation as it is. And uh, so they want to try to maybe better that image by being, you know, the calmer voice of reason here in what's going on in Europe. And then on the other side of it, Germany. Of now, course, we're going to have to save the other side for a moment because we are into time for taking a commercial break. And James Corbett and I will be back in just a moment and we'll finish James' comments. And please stay tuned. We'll be right back on Financial Survival. or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free 866-229-3663. That's 866 866- Two two nine three six six three. International callers dial seven zero four eight seven five eight zero one zero or order online at the three w's dot thepowerherbs dot com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Adams here with James Corbett from the Corbett Report on financial survival. We were talking about the situation in Greece, and one thing led to another. And James, you were talking about the IMF's bad reputation. When we stopped for commercials, did you have something else you wanted to add on how they rehabilitate themselves? Right. So I think their their uh, role and motive here in the Greek crisis is to try to 
put on a better face uh, and and be the voice of reason. Whereas the opposite political pressure, I think, applies in Germany, where you have the German public already already kind of uh, bristling at uh, having being the the economic workhorse of the European Union and supporting these lazy you know southern states. And uh, obviously exacerbated by the Greek crisis, so there's a lot of pressure on Germany to be tough on on Greece and make sure that they get the money back and that that sort of pressure. So in this case, the EU can play the bad cop, the IMF can play the good cop, and they both benefit from that in terms of you know their political base. Is Germany playing the bad cop in this situation, insisting that Greece pay its debts in order to collect the money from Greece, or in order to bridle any attempt by Italy, for example, or perhaps Spain, to also not pay their debts. Yeah. Is Greece well, really I think the I subject mean, here, or is Greece just the illustration? Right. Well, those aren't um, mutually exclusive things. I think both of them are at play here, and certainly that has to be seen as part of what's going on with Greece. If Greece gets some sort of sweetheart deal where they get to write off all their debt, then of course that creates the moral hazard for other states to follow suit. So there has to be a certain sense in which you know we don't let them get away with too much, and I think that has to be one of the calculations going on here. When you mentioned the good cop, bad cop analogy, where does Greek Prime Minister Tsipras fit in? Is he a good cop, a bad cop? Is he really working for the Greek people? Has he been co-opted by the predators? What do you think is happening? Uh, a cop in civilian clothing, maybe? Um, <laughs> the idea here is that Cyprus and uh, Syriza always was a, a, a hope and change Greek edition, basically. Uh, people voted him in thinking this was going to, they, they were talking tough. They were going to you know, tear this up, tear up the, the deals, and they weren't going to pay anything back to the EU and all of this. And of course, they were, you know, elected in on that mandate. And even when there was that referendum, should we take this bailout deal and all the conditions on it? And the, it, overwhelmingly, the, the people said, no, don't do it. And then they did it. And people were shocked. They were amazed. Oh, I can't believe we were betrayed. Um, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I was calling it from the moment they were elected. This is this isn't real, guys. They're not going to be standing up for this. They're going to play along. They're just they're just making noise to to satisfy their their uh, their, their 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 public mandate. But ultimately, they're going to go along with it. And ultimately, they have gone along with it more or less. Um, they have not been the tough, you know, put putting their foot down that they said they were going to be. And I I just. I don't think the answer is ever going to come from people playing that political game because it's always going to end up some version of, you know, how much do you want to sell out? Let's make really a deal. the only question. Yeah. Let's make a deal as way most of this politician, most of the politics seems to run. And the deal is not just doing what's right for my constituency in order to help your constituency and vice versa. It's about feathering people's nest, politicians' nest. It's about exchanging dollars, at, at least in a lot of instances. And, uh, you can't help but wonder if Mr. Zippers doesn't now own a fine palace somewhere along the coast of the Mediterranean. Um, let's move on. A 15 years later, here we are, 15 years and three days since the 9-11 attack. I know you've written an article about that, just to uh, smashing the lies with 9-11 truth. And here's one that's come out just lately uh, that you're undoubtedly familiar with. I assume you are. Fifteen years later, Physics Journal concludes all three World Trade Center towers collapsed due to controlled demolition. Now, what's interesting, this is a, uh, it says a renowned physics journal and so on. Um, this is a European 
physics magazine, uh, which is interesting all by itself. Why didn't we have an American magazine that's come out for physician or phys, uh, uh, physicians, um, scientists, American scientists have declared this thing is the government story is not true? And maybe we have. Why don't you clear? Why don't you clear that up for us? Uh, no, I think it's one of those cases where perhaps it's easier to do this in a political uh, area that is not where it isn't quite so fraught with political mm -hmm. consequences. And mm -hmm. so I think, yeah, maybe Europeans are more willing to look at this in a somewhat detached manner. But yes, this is a uh, pretty important uh, article. It's in a it's in a major uh, mainstream scientific uh, magazine, Europhysics, and it's co-authored by Stephen Jones, uh, Robert Corral, Anthony Zambodi, and Ted Walter. Um, who have various degrees of association with architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. And also, I mean, formerly Brigham University, uh, uh, Mac McMaster University. So it's a pretty serious article, and it does, I think, hit all of the, the main notes that we would expect um, talking about, obviously, what was found in the dust samples, with the thermate and uh, the, the, just the physics of the collapse themselves, uh, WTC7 falling in free fall acceleration for 2.25 seconds of its fall. Um, all of these things, which obviously go against the official story of just fire-induced collapses. And it is a step in the right direction. I don't imagine this is going to be a sea change that's going to completely you know, change people's opinions. But at any rate, it is another thing in the scientific literature that people can point to that, uh, once again, reinforces the idea that the official investigation and conclusion about the collapse, the destruction of those towers is not all that it was cracked up to be. What is about your article and video smashing the lies with 9-11 truth? Do you have that was an that a com a, a, just a compendium of existing information? Do you have any new insight in that video? Well, that was really a roundup of the 9-11 anniversary coverage that I did this year, which is called 9-11 Suspects. And people can find that at corporatereport.com slash suspects. And what that was was a video series. I released it in six parts, six different suspects. And the idea here is if there was a district attorney that was interested in actually prosecuting the crimes of 9-11 as crimes rather than as terrorist attacks or acts of war, um, who could you reasonably go after in the public record, given publicly available documents as people who were involved either in the events or in the cover-up of those events? So I, I identified um, Rudy Giuliani, Christine Todd Whitman, Philip Zelikow, the executive director of the 9-11 Commission, uh, CIA case officer Robert Baer, uh, General Ralph Aberhart, who was the former commander-in-chief of NORAD, and the dancing Israelis, as they're referred to, um, which has long been talked about as some sort of unsubstantiated rumor or something. It wasn't a rumor. We have uh, not only the police arrest documents, but we have hundreds and hundreds of pages of FBI documents about these people, redacted documents to be sure, but still enough to show uh, that that story was more than just a rumor. And uh, so basically looking at these six individuals or groups of individuals as people that you would begin if you were serious about starting to come to a better understanding of what actually happened on 9-11. What do you think Hillary's chances are of actually making it to the election and being elected? In terms of not keeling over and dying before then? Well, <laughs> it, uh... it might be. She. Some people think she's on the verge of death. I don't know that that's true. But she's certainly so disabled that, she, that it seems that a reasonable person would say, look, I can't, I can't continue this. I'm killing myself. i got to quit. 
Yeah. Is she going to yeah. do well, that? I, I, I don't think anyone would say uh, Hillary was reasonable, per se. I guess um, that. I mean, if, <laughs> if the idea of psychopathy in political leaders applies to anyone, I think it would be the Clintons more so than more than more so than anyone else that I could think of. And I I think it's been a single minded quest of Hillary Clinton's entire life, presumably, but certainly since her and Bill made, I think, the marriage of political convenience um, and became the power couple and moved up the ranks. I think it has always been the, the determination and the understanding, OK, you're going to have the presidency and then I am. It has been a lifelong dream. She is right on the verge of it. I cannot imagine that she would give that up willingly at this point. But as we say, it might not be so willingly. Certainly there are serious questions about her health at the very least. And I don't, I mean, can she keep it under wraps until November? Uh, and, and if so, I mean, is the public happy with that? Are they going to vote for someone who at the very least could be on death's doorstep? Maybe she isn't, but uh, certainly has problems and is already 68 turning 69 before the election would be 73 or 77, you know, by the time she finishes office, if she does. So uh, clearly this is, I mean, it's, it is an important issue. And uh, the, the most interesting part of all of this is the way that the media has so brazenly attempted to dismiss any talk of Hillary Clinton's health as crazy conspiracy theory until the video came out that they could not deny. Oh, OK, so she 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 is a bit sick. Maybe we can talk about her health now. Just the blatant, brazen, bald faced lying to the public's face um, that they've been doing recently has really been. The most remarkable part of this, we all know that the mainstream media are establishment mouthpiece flyers, but to see it so blatantly over the last several weeks has been quite, quite amazing. What do you think is going to happen in the relationship between mainstream media and the Internet? Clearly, the Internet is, you know, not everything on the Internet is true, of course. Um, there's all sorts of nonsense and BS and whatever on the Internet, but still there's a place where you can find the truth if you care to look for it, and maybe you can't even suppress it. If anyone finds the truth, it can go viral. I don't know that it can be suppressed on the Internet exactly as compared to the mainstream media. Who is going to will, – will the Internet increasingly control what's happening in our political understanding in this world, or will the mainstream media hold its, uh, hold its power – or will the mainstream media be diminished in its power to influence public thinking? It is being diminished, and that yeah. is inevitable. I don't think that you can put the brakes or the reverse on that process at this point. And just look at the collapse of Hillary Clinton the, on 9-11 being literally dragged into that van uh, as an example of, of that phenomenon. Because where did that video came from? It came from some random person on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. and. Uh, with a cell phone, a little cell phone. Exactly. Everybody's yeah. equipped with these things now. Right. So imagine yeah, I, if that took place even a few years ago. It would not have made the, the news. It would not have been shown everywhere. People wouldn't be able to see it for themselves. They might have heard about this stumble and believed it was a stumble or something, and they would have downplayed it. Uh, they couldn't do that in this case because people could literally see it for themselves. So there is a change that's taking place. And I wonder... If the real powers that shouldn't be aren't trying to get ahead of this change by creating the kind of uh, tension that we see right now between reality and the mainstream uh, to basically lump uh, lump anyone who isn't uh, going along with the mainstream on this into that kind of 
you're a conspiracy theory slash Trump supporter slash they're trying to lump all of this together in a big pile. And I'm wondering if they're trying to put all the eggs in one basket so that they can break the basket all together somehow. I, that's just my conspiratorial thinking of, on this, because I think, as I say, there's no putting the genie back, uh, putting the cap back on this bottle, putting the genie back in the bottle at this point. It's out there. It's just a question of how how can they demonize the uh, the alternatives or corrupt them or co-opt them or take the control of over them in some way. Discredit uh, and cast doubts. Yeah. You know, if you're not absolutely certain that you've just seen, heard from a truthful source, uh, maybe you don't believe that source. Maybe you don't act on it. We've got about a minute and a half left, and there's an article from The Independent that says, President Obama will veto a bill allowing 9-11 families to sue Saudi Arabia. All right? This has been excused. It's because they say it's not hard to imagine other countries using this law as an excuse to haul U.S. diplomats or U.S. service members or even U.S. companies into courts all around the world. And they're saying that's why Obama wants to veto the proposed law that 9-11 victims' families can sue Saudi Arabia. What do you think about that? Conspiracy theory or a pragmatic politics? Right. Well, I mean, to be fair, I'm sure that is one of the considerations in, in this type of thing. It's why the U.S. has never and will never participate in the International Criminal Court or anything. They just don't want to open themselves up to prosecution for all the crimes that they're doing around the world. So that's understandable. But also, I mean, we should never have expected, and I certainly didn't, that uh, the Saudi Arabian lawsuits would ever really go ahead unless they were truly ready to throw Saudi Arabia under the bus and, and do a formal break with the Saudis. But I don't think they're ready to do that quite yet. Um, again, I, I still see this in the stick, carrot and stick scenario where they, they keep threatening and, and showing, hey, so Saudi Arabia, we just, our Congress just passed a bill that people can sue you. But don't worry, we'll take care of it. Here's the veto. It's always that kind of, we look at what we could do if we wanted to, and I still feel Yeah, we can that even run a dying woman for president. Anything's possible. <laughs> Is this a great country or what, at least from the politician's <laughs> perspective? We have to let it go with that. James, thanks very much for being on the program. I'm Alfred Adams here with James Corbett, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, -T, from thecorbettreport.com. Visit. Take a look. See what he's got. It's good stuff. Uh, we'll be back. Melody and I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, Frank, the producer, and James Corbett. Bye-bye. I work all night. I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay.
their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Here's an important message from Vita Scientific. If you have high blood sugar or type 2 diabetes, these are serious medical issues that require immediate attention. Did you know that it's possible to actually reverse high blood sugar and diabetes by using simple, natural products proven to balance your blood sugar? It's time to do what I did. Take control of your life. Vita Scientific's clinically tested formula will help you to feel healthy and energetic. These breakthrough supplements along with small changes in your diet and exercise plan may be the answer you've been looking for to set you on the path to optimal health. These products will not interfere with your current medical treatments, so start getting excited about feeling great again. Please visit VitaScientific.com or call Vita Scientific at 210-520-8432. That's 210-520-8432 to learn more. Tell them Doc Green sent you and get 50% off your first order. Call now. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
All right, folks. Good evening. I am your host, Jay Shanahan, and this is the Condition Critical Show, my live show for Wednesday evening, the 14th day of September 2016. It is now four minutes past the 8 o'clock hour, 8 p.m., 20 hundred hours out here in the state of Washington. And you're listening right here, ladies and gentlemen, on the American Voice Radio Network, which means you can go to the AmericanVoiceRadio.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.com, uh, which is the uh, website for this network. And when you get there, you should know what to do. Try and get into the chat room. Uh, we need to populate that a little bit more than what it has been populated here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there might be an extra step that you have to do to do that, but try and do it. It's an interesting and good way to uh, interact with uh, your various hosts here on the network. I have a website, ConditionCriticalShow.com. I also have a YouTube channel. And no, I haven't posted anything off my YouTube channel yet, but I still have one. My website is ConditionCriticalShow.com, and you should go there. I have an article I posted last night, which I'm going to kind of talk about this evening. And uh, my YouTube channel is Condition Critical Show as well. Go there and at least subscribe. And again, I promise to get some content on there for you all. Okay, let's just get right on with some things I promised on my show last night that we were going to do some gun talk, and we are going to do some gun talk. And at the end, I'm maybe going to present you a couple of reasons uh, why guns are important. Okay, and it's not like if you don't, you shouldn't already have a clue about that. Uh, well, then maybe you've been, like, living under a rock. Okay, so let's just, without further ado, get on with the gun talk. And what I mean by that is I, I often say in the chat room and on, my, on, on the air to buy a rifle. It's one of my, like, mottos that, that I say. You know, a couple of people will be talking about some, something, you know, the government did wrong or that, uh, you, know, this, that you know, just the society falling apart or, or whatever, and I have a couple of responses to, you know, to that type of a conversation. And one of them is simply buy a rifle. I say it all the time because you're going to need it, whether you think you're going to need it or not. You, you're going to eventually need it. Having said all of that, there's a lot of Internet lore and, quite frankly, myths out there surrounding certain firearms, namely, chiefly, the AR-15 platform as it uh, kind of compares or pertains to the AK-47 platform. And that's kind of what I want to talk about, at least in the beginning here this evening. And again, because there is, there's, there's a lot, and it is, it really is Internet lore about the AR-15 not being a reliable rifle. It just is. It's like if you've been listening to the Aladash show, they've been talking about things like judicial review, right? And I think that's what it's called. And that's something that you can, I think that was the term, where you can petition the court. Uh, and, it, but, but, and this thing is based, you know, they, they can't be re, re, rebuked, in other words, these judicial reviews. It's like fact. It's like sitting next to me here, I have a bottle of water, right? And that's what it is. And I don't care. You can call it a cup of tea. You can call it a, a five-pound bag of sugar. It doesn't matter. It's it's a fact that it's 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 a bottle of water. Well, that same type of logic or train of thought applies to the AR-15 rifle when it comes to its reliability, because it just simply is, without a doubt, a reliable platform. 
And it's the internet lore, really, and it's people that are kind of brand centric. And I don't know where I don't I don't know where it comes from, quite frankly, because it really it's it serves no purpose to to bash a certain platform of firearm uh, unnecessarily or unfairly. And certainly the AR-15 gets that often and a lot, mainly by people that just like the AK-47. And now we're talking about civilian versions of both models here, ladies and gentlemen, not the select fire real assault rifles that are used uh, militarily. That would be the M16 slash M4 or the AK-47 automatic version, okay, fully automatic version. So let's just be clear here. We're talking about the civilian versions. And I will say this, that perhaps in the beginning, there were some reliability issues with certain components on the AR-15, but they've, they've fixed those like 30 years ago. I mean, perhaps even longer than that. I mean, you know, you can't have a popular rifle like the AR-15 out there for as long as it's been out as, as it's been out there. And it dominates the market, ladies and gentlemen. It just does. It dominates the market from the most low-end AR-15 to the most high-end AR-15. Uh, my AR-15 is kind of maybe somewhere in between that. I did something not necessarily unusual. I didn't buy uh, an AR-15 off the shelf. I bought all of the parts specifically and built it uh, because I wanted it like maybe just a certain way. And that's that can be an expensive way to do it, or it can be kind of maybe a less expensive way to do it. Frank is asking, do they still have the I will jam plunger on them? Well, I think what he's referring to is the forward assist. And look, all you have to do is do some basic, fair, and honest research on the forward assist. And most people, most people will tell you, and look, there are a lot of companies out there now that are are not including the uh, forward assist on their rifles because they can do more harm than good. There's a reason a lot of times, or when it happens a lot of times, say the uh, the cartridge won't go into battery. There's usually a pretty good reason for that. And you shouldn't be slamming the forward assist or, you know, essentially forcing that round into the chamber. If it doesn't want to go, there could be a problem. You could have a, a bulged case from, like, say you do reloads like I do. You could have a faulty case. You could get a... a, a you could get a, what do they call them, uh, extruding primers from the factory that just mass-produced ammunition has problems. There could be any number of reasons. And it's usually just a cartridge issue. It's not a reliability issue as far as the AR-15 goes. It's almost exclusively an issue with the cartridge itself. Sure, they get dirty and all that sort of thing, but to answer that question, Frank, yes, my AR-15 does have a, a forward assist on it. But a lot of companies aren't putting them on there anymore and because you don't need them. That's just a, that's just a fact. And I'm no, I'm no expert on, on this by any means. But I do have a lot of experience with the AR-15. I have experience with the AK as well. They're both fine rifles. And see, that's really the, that's really the gist of kind of what I'm trying to get at here, is that instead of arguing or bickering back and forth and bashing one platform of rifle, so what? Hey, if you don't like an AR-15, as long as your reasons are based in fact and in, in logic, I don't have a problem with that. 
But if you want to go on about saying that they're unreliable, they're they're un, underpowered because it's only a 22 caliber cartridge, all of that has been debunked completely, just debunked. And you can either choose to believe it or not. But if you choose not to believe it, you're basic. You're then you're just ignoring facts. That's all there is to it. Okay. And I pulled up a couple of articles here, and, and you can do this all on your own. And I thought about writing a big, long, and actually the blog post that I wrote kind of started off that way. Ladies and gentlemen, if you go to my website, Condition Critical Show, it's my latest article that I put on there. And then it kind of turned into something else. And I thought, I actually thought, as I was writing, I thought, well, this is kind of, this is kind of turned into something different. I thought about breaking it up and making it into like two pieces, but I didn't. And perhaps I will. Uh, later on this evening, I'll go back and, and, and over and look at that and see if I could do it. It doesn't matter. Uh, or was I going with that? Yeah, the articles that I've, let me see what's going on in the chat room really quick. Just kidding. <laughs> Good one. There, Nunya in the chat room. Okay. This is just, and again, you, and you should, and I encourage you to, because if you're interested in it in any way, and you should be again, because I, I, I want to, close out this broadcast with some commentary about why you're going to need a gun. And instead of bickering about, you know, all oh, the AR-15 is a piece of junk, it's a poodle gun, and they have all these terms, it's unreliable, they jam. Wrong, 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 wrong. If you're, 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 you're limiting yourself, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you do that. And, and again, I, I, I want to state this, it's, if you don't like them because of maybe the ergonomics, or perhaps you want a 30 caliber, which is what the AK, at least uh, 47 is, then fine, that's great. They're great rifles, okay? But let's make, I want to make myself perfectly clear, and I want it to be perfectly clear, and that is, is that the AR-15 is a reliable weapon. Now, let me just uh, check something here in the chat room, and it is a great range rifle. It, it is a great, it's a better, actually, it's a good point, Frank made in the chat room that it's a great range rifle, and it is. In fact, and this is a fact, it's a better range rifle than the AK-47. So there you go. It's a better range rifle than the AK-47 because it is absolutely, without a doubt, a more accurate weapon on the range. It just is because of its design. That is true, yes. But that doesn't mean that the AK-47 can't be a great range rifle. It's short range, sure. It's a different type of weapon. They are, they, they have a lot of similarities in that they are what they would call, what is, what are called uh, intermediate combat weapons. In, in other words, they're not submachine guns, and they're not either light machine guns or certainly heavy machine guns. It's an intermediate, kind of a squad, intermediate kind of assault rifle. That's what they are. They're lightweight. They take, uh, uh, ex uh, uh uh, magazines, detachable magazines, and so forth. Uh, select fire, obviously, for the military versions. And so, the, in that in that sense, you know, not a lot of moving parts and all of that whole thing. They're they're great, in, in you know, rifles in that way. So, however, now, okay, well, Frank, you would have to define however, expand on that. But let me get to this. Uh, let me get to this article, and this is from Gun Digest, and it's the headline or the title is debunked. Three reasons the AR-15 isn't reliable. And it starts off, let me see here. It starts off now that's given to just three reasons here. 
And it kind of starts off, the AR-15 isn't reliable. Just ask the critics. They'll often cite three reasons why the AR-15 isn't reliable. They're debunked here. This is a pretty good article, by the way. Actually, I'll post it in the chat room uh, before I continue on here, and you guys can kind of check it out for yourself. And look, there is a lot of bias that goes on out there, and, and, you know, and so that's something that you have to, uh, you know, be aware of. So let's just start off here. The three reasons, the AR-15 the AR gas system, and that does get thrown around a lot it, because it's a direct impingement type, that is the gas system, and it has, it's not a piston-driven gun, although they do have piston-driven uh, AR-15s out there. That wasn't their initial design. It's a direct impingement weapon. The big slam against the AR-15 is gas system, which blows back gas into the receiver. Two problems result. One is that the receiver gets impossibly grubby. So dirty that you really don't want to touch anything in it unless you have to. The other is heat. Apparently, the gas blowback, the gas blows back with enough heat that the receiver can become hot to the touch. Both are seen as bad things. Now, this guy's saying, I haven't done any door kicking in Iraq, so I can't comment on that environment. However, I use two high-volume uses as a, basis, as a basis. The law enforcement classes where I work as an instructor in armor and second chance. Now, second chance, I've heard of it. It's some kind of a... Uh, I don't know, it's some kind of a school or something like that. You can kind of Google it. I don't have all the information on it, but I have heard of it. And he goes on to say, at second chance, ammunition consumption can be measured by the cubic foot. Those of you with little reloading history might remember the old eight-pound powder tubs, the fiberboard tubs with press-on lids. I use those. I went through a lot of powder reloading in the old days for storage. I would commonly go up to second chance with two or three of those filled with 223 reloads. I went down to the shop and measured one, 184 cubic inches, about 500 rounds worth of volume. And he goes on to say, and what he's saying here is he's going on to describe the amount of rounds that they put through the rifles in, in these classes, if you will, at the school at Second Chance. And what's he saying here? Uh, he says, and, and now, and he, again, he goes on about how many rounds, you know, they put through their weapons and so forth. And here's, a, here's kind of a, a little bit of an observation and it, it, about the reliability because they had experienced, what was it here? How many, uh, let's see, because I think he says it, uh, perhaps two or three. Yeah. How many malfunctions did I have in all that shooting? Perhaps two or three, perhaps two or three in 14 trips up north. I guess that school is up north of where he lives is why he's saying that. And those were busted cases from reloading the empties too many times. And again, that's generally where you're going to run into problems. When you have reliability issues, the, the first thing you need to look at is your ammunition. The second thing is the magazine. It's usually not the rifle itself or the components within the rifle itself, ladies and gentlemen. It's just not. I know that to be true. He goes on to say, I was not alone in that level of reliability. There were others who went to second chance many more times than I had who had fewer malfunctions. The secret, we cleaned and oiled them. Oiled them. Now, Second Chance wasn't a Middle East recreation of the Alamo. We were able to stop, rest, and cool the rifles and do some scrubbing and blah, blah, blah. But the AR-15 was such a range queen, so beastly to keep running, we never noticed it. And if we had, we'd either figured out a way to fix the problem or we switched rifles. That's kind of one of the, um, the myths debunked. Here's the second one. AR-15s require cleaning. And he goes on to say, and look... And, and I hear that a lot. Oh, you got to keep them clean and you got to oil them and blah, blah. Really? Well, you got to do that with anything, man. You got to do that with your lawnmower. And so that's when I say internet lore and kind of myth, that's one of them. 
That's one of those things, that, and I said this in my article, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but look, that's one of the things that people parrot. They just, oh, I heard somebody say that, and I'm going to say it. Oh, you got to keep them. You got to clean them, and you got to, really? Well, man, you got to, you know, do you got like a pair of shoes? You got to like change your shoelaces in them like uh, once a year or replace your, really? And everything needs maintenance, ladies and gentlemen. The real problem, I'm reading something in the chat room from, from Frank. The real problem with the AR is now mostly based on the ammo. The AR is finicky about what ammo it eats, and the AK will bone through mostly any kind of crap ammo. Uh, not true. That is just absolutely not true. That's about all I can say to that. It's just not true. I have a plethora of case cases that I, you know, because I reload. And I don't separate, uh, you know, the, the different uh, cases, if you will. I have military stuff that's head stamped from different manufacturers. I have civilian stuff from any kind of manufacturer out there, except steel case, because steel case stuff, although is reloadable, uh, it's hard to do, and it's very hard on your equipment and, and so forth. And it's hard on the rifles as well, on the extractors and, and so forth like that. But AR-15s will feed uh, steel ammunition uh, just as well as the AK, just as well as any rifle out there. So that is that is not true. I have look. I can't overstate this enough. I have a lot of experience with this with this type of weapon, thousands of rounds myself. Not to the level that some of these other people have, and I I, I can't remember the last malfunction, like serious malfunction that I had with an AR-15 rifle, period. That's it. Now, again, that's just my own experience, but see, a lot of other people are having this experience as well. And I think that it's important that you just accept that, ladies and gentlemen. And if you don't like the AR-15, fine, that's one thing. But just facts and logic, okay? The AR cleaning requirements are unreasonable. While every gun needs clean, the AR needs a bath three times a day. Well, I don't know if you're just trying to provoke me, Frank, or if you really believe that, because that's just not true. It is not true, period. That's it. Simple as that. In fact, that's where a lot of the, that's where some of the problems come from, because people think, man, I got to clean this thing and I got to like oil it. And, 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 and then that's what people do is they'll over oil the bulk carrier group and now you've just run into problems, period. That's it. You can, you can further uh, enhance your AR-15, at least the bolt carrier group, by having a bolt carrier group that is, uh, what do they call it, uh, MP3 coded. And, and that's not a new technology. It's, it's, it's actually, it's quite new or quite, well, quite old uh, technology. And what that is, is it, it makes the... Uh, well, you can just look it up, the MP3 coding that they put on, that they apply to uh, the AR-15 uh, bolt carrier groups. It makes it, it does make it, uh, I, I, I hesitate to say more reliable because your basic, your basic M, uh, bolt carrier group that is not coded or plated with MP3 coding, and there's other codings out there, are, are reliable as well. They, however, do require a sheen, if you will, of, of light lubrication. But again, but again, ladies and gentlemen, all weapons require that. Period. If you run any weapon dry, you are going to have problems. Okay, now let me get back to the article here. I don't want to over, uh, overdo the break there. 
Uh, when I went through the gun site two to three class, most of my classmates were either military or police. They were, they, there was a doctor and his son, a whole slew of Navy SEALs, Air, Air Force security police, a Delta operator, and I, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we all had ARs or M16s, except for some of the security police. Finding themselves scheduled for yet another rifle class, a couple had opted for something different. They had checked out a couple of AK-74s out of the Army. Now, the AK-74 is just a different caliber. It's, it's very much an ak but it's a, I think it's a 5.45 by 39 or 45, perhaps. It's, uh, it's similar to the 5.56. It's similar to the AR-15 cartridge. It's not the same, but it is similar. Uh, anyway, but it is very much an AK. It says they're checked them out with, along with a bunch of ammo. Uh, let's see. One thing we all learned is that you can neglect an AK and have it fail, too. The most interesting malfunction we observed was truly bizarre. The empty cases were extracting and stripped off of the bolt face, but instead of ejecting it, it traveled further into the rear of the receiver. Once there, it stopped the rifle from working. Now, he's describing a malfunction that the AK-74s were experiencing for whatever reason. And again, for whatever reason. So now, does that mean that I can just start some internet lore and say that the AKs are a piece of crap because they, there was a malfunction? Because again, and this article even concludes, and the other, it concludes by saying, and I've said it, that anything can malfunction, ladies and gentlemen. Any mechanical thing can and probably will malfunction. They're not perfect. The third uh, myth, at least in this article, that they debunk is that AR-15s will quit in a pinch. One last comment on reliability, and see, he's making it here that I just made the point. Any rifle can be made to quit. Now, this is interesting, because I read this just before I came on the air. In U.S. Infantry Weapons and Combat, that's a book or a, some kind of a, maybe an article or something, Scott Duff interviewed Frank Fulford about his experience in Korea. During the Battle of Kunari, his Garand, that would be the M1 Garand, stopped working. He hadn't had time to clean it. Hmm, he hadn't had time to clean it. And it defaulted to a single-shot weapon, so he tossed it aside and found one that would work. The combat was so fierce that there was no time to clean the rifles. So he went through a succession of Garands, dropping each one, when it stopped working and trying to find rifles until he found one that worked. The Garand, the exemplar of World War II reliability, can be made to stop working. If a Garand will stop, so will any other mechanism. The ultimate solution, either clean your rifle on a regular basis or depend on something less likely to malfunction, like a Bowie knife. And that was pretty funny, actually. So, <coughs> excuse me. So that's just one article, ladies and gentlemen, uh, on the reliability. Hold on, I'm seeing what's Frank said. So you are not talking about the 47. Well, I wasn't talking about the AK-47 and that particular malfunction, but it's kind of, and maybe it's apples and oranges, but I don't think so because they're, again, they're, the AK-74 and the AK-47s, I mean, they are, they are AKs. Uh, yet they're different calibers, but they are, in fact, in fact, and I don't know all of it because I'm not an expert on the either platform, but there's a lot of interchangeability of parts, even though they are different calibers. Uh, so, you know, to say, you know, to, to say that the AK 74 uh, malfunctioned is, you know, somehow different than maybe an AK 47 experience in the same, I don't know, same malfunction. I don't know if that's, if you can make that case. So hold on. What's Frank saying? Is by far the more so. 
Uh, well, you know, uh, well, let's just let's just talk about that. Uh, and again, uh, well, here we go. How reliable is the AR-15 platform really? And this is from Knowledge Glue. I'll post this in the chat room as well. Because uh, look, and we're well. It looks like we're getting close to break, so I'm going to have to wait until after the break. But see, I will say this, and I think this is going to be the third or fourth time I, I'm going to say both rifles are, whichever one you buy. You're gonna be you're gonna be okay. Just just please don't don't get don't get you know caught up in the internet lore and the myths about a certain type of platform because look there are people that are passionate on both sides of this issue unnecessarily. That's basically I mean if if you take anything out of this presentation take that out of it or that that being unnecessarily unfair to one platform or or and just just because really doesn't serve the purpose because at the end of the day just buy one of those suckers okay and get a lot of magazines and start stocking up on ammunition if anything else take that ladies and gentlemen away from this presentation okay and when we come back from the break i'll get into this article from knowledge glue and bef as before we go into break there's the music i will post this in the chat room so you can check it out see you after the break
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time, I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserved or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. People realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
right, folks, welcome back. Second half condition critical show. I'm your host, Jay Shanahan, my live show for Wednesday evening, 14th day of September, 2016, 37 minutes past the eight o'clock hour. And you are listening right here on the American Voice Radio Network. Let's just continue on with the show, ladies and gentlemen. One second. Okay. Just checking the chat room. Okay, let's continue on with the show. I wanted to uh, get on to the second article, and I didn't want this whole show to be just going on and on and on. You know, and I'm not certainly not trying to bash anybody out there, but I do want your reasons for perhaps not liking the AR-15 rifle to be based in sound logic and, and, and fairness, and not just Internet lore and myth. Because it's not my belief, it's my opinion, and as you all know, or should know by now, I have very strong opinions, and I believe that it is my strong opinion that it is solely based in Internet lore and myth. Here's the second article I wanted to get uh, to about the AR-15 rifle, and then I really do want to move on, because time is running short. This is, again, from Knowledge Glue. I posted the link in the chat room. How reliable is the AR-15 platform, really? In this article, we have located a rather amazing field report from none other than Henderson Defense. They operate a place called Battlefield Las Vegas. At their range, they rent everything from a basic Ruger 1022 all the way up to an M1 Abrams battle tank. They rent everything in between those two extremes, in other words. Due to the nature of their business, they go through literally millions of rounds a year, some weapons seeing tens, tens, if not hundreds, of thousands of rounds of ammunition. As part of a Q&A session, they were asked what guns proved to be reliable and what ones did not. Here's a quote. A member asked me if I would give, give some insight into our M4s, into how our M4s handle on the range, because I've started threads on the AK pistols and 50 caliber uh, Barretts. Here's a little background on what we do. We operate a high-volume range in Las Vegas. You can't bring your personal weapons in and rent lanes for an hour. Uh, customers use only our weapons and our ammo. We use only, or we only use factory new ammunition and zero reloads. We keep maintenance logs on each and every weapon to include cleanings, parts replaced, and other issues that need to be noted. We shoot approximately 400,000 rounds downrange each month, and the numbers have actually gone up a bit for May and June. Tourists get to shoot everything from type GG, uh, not for me, it's like it's a Japanese submachine gun to an M1 Garand C and Ds, MP44s, G43s, on and on it goes, MG42s, and it goes on M14s, Lugers, Swedish Mausers, M203s, on and on, and you get the point. Some weapons are very rare historical weapons that rarely come uh, out of uh, collections, excuse me, or museums, and blah, 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 okay. Here are some of our insights about our experience with M4s and other guns on the range. Here you go. Some of our M4s have well over 200,000 rounds downrange. Barrels have been replaced. Gas tubes have been replaced. BCGs, bulk carrier groups, have been replaced. But what sets it apart from the AK-47 is that the upper and lower receivers continue to function. AKs get to about 100,000-plus round count, and rails on the receiver will start to crack. It's an easy fix with TIG welding, but they crack. We have yet to lose an upper or lower receiver from cracking. So there you go, guys. And now I could take that to say those freaking AKs are freaking pieces of junk. But you know what? I would be wrong because that's just simply not true. Now, who, I'm, who listening to this broadcast is going to put that many rounds downrange? 
uh, you're probably not going to put a tenth of that many rounds. How many times do you go to the range, ladies and gentlemen? And when you do go to the range, how many rounds? Because I don't go to the range near like I used to. And I still wasn't putting, I, I would have never got to that round count. It'd take me a lifetime to get to that round count. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is really something that you need to look at. Because people say, oh, that, that, that thing will fail after, you know, uh, it, you know, it'll wear out after so many rounds. Uh, yeah, sure. Again, just like any type, any other type of machine or mechanical part, sure, it'll fail, wear out or be more prone to fail or have issues over time, just like anything else. That doesn't mean to say that some things, some don't uh, perform better than others. But it, it appears in the experience of these fellows is that the M4s perform better at a higher round count, at least the upper and lower receivers. Okay, that's a, those are two pretty important components uh, because you don't have a rifle without either. No, well, you don't have a rifle without any of the components that is needed to be a rifle. Uh, but they're pretty important parts, okay? And so that's a good thing, ladies and gentlemen, because the AR-15s, over time, and I've heard it before too, is that the, they, they say all oh, those lower receivers are made out of pot metal and blah, blah, blah. Really? Wrong. It's just flat out wrong, man. That's aircraft grade aluminum and, and, and the cheapest AR-15 lower that you can go out there and buy. Me, and I, I, I shouldn't say cheapest. Let's go inexpensive. We'll serve you a lifetime, ladies and gentlemen. And again, that doesn't mean you won't get a defective one. Stuff happens, okay? Excuse me. I wasn't looking into the chat room. I wouldn't use an AR-15 or M-16 battle and battle rifle. I already have since in the past, and I will tell you about it when we get. And well, MS has a lot of experience, and I respect all that experience that, that uh, MS has. And, and and it's and it's valid, uh, you know, experience and his experiences, you know, matter. And but I will say, uh. I have this experience as well with the with the M16 platform, and I can tell you that it functions just fine. And you know, it gets a lot of uh, rap again because it's only a 22 caliber. But keep one thing in mind, and it, it is a high-powered rifle, and is described as such. So, what do you think high-powered rifles do? They do a lot of damage. And and again, I mean, I didn't want this this dissertation or this presentation to to kind of break down into a battle between people that like the AR-15. And, and and people on the other side that don't. In fact, you know, I didn't want this to become, in other words, a, a battle between the AR-15 and the AK-47, because I'm going to state it here again, once again, for the record. And for the last time, because I want to move on, both rifles are great rifles. Just buy one, okay? Just buy one. And stop bickering, ladies and gentlemen, about the AR-15 or the AK-47, because it serves no purpose. At, at least it doesn't serve... Our purpose. Okay. Frank is wanting to talk about shotguns, and I will because, see, there's some Internet lore in this out there about shotguns as well. I'll get the Mossberg 500. All oh, those things are a piece of crap. you got to get the Remington 870. Look, man, just buy one of the suckers, okay? They're both good shotguns. They're, and are they similar? Yeah, they're similar, but they have a lot of differences. Uh, the the Mossberg 500 gets a bad rap because of the receivers are made out of aluminum. And they say that it's not as good as the Remington 870 because their receivers are made out of steel. Well, people on the other side will say, well, and they'll give the uh, Remington 870 a bad rap because it's too heavy. Why? Well, because the receiver is made out of steel. And again, 
it's internet lore and myth when people parrot this kind of stuff. Oh, that thing's a piece of crap. And and the selector uh, safety uh, switch on the Mossberg is they break and because they're made out of composite plastic or whatever. Wrong. Okay. And fine, if you don't like it being made out of plastic, fine. You, you spend 15 bucks on a steel part and replace it. Takes about 10 minutes. Well, actually, it takes a little longer than that because <laughs> I've done it. But you can do it. And the, um, the Mossberg 500, now, at least in the basic version that you're going to go buy at, say, Sears or at Big Five Sporting Goods, you're, you're, you're probably not going to see, you, and you may, but you're generally just going to get your basic uh, uh, Mossberg 500. In other words, you won't get the heavy-duty model or the, the 590, which is basically just the law, the law enforcement military version of the 500. It's going to have a lot of steel components, namely the trigger guard and the trigger group is going to be made out of steel. Uh, the basic Mossberg 500, like mine was, and it isn't anymore, I kind of upgraded it. And I do hesitate to say upgrade because the plastic one, and, and you know, maybe I shouldn't say plastic, it's, it's some kind of a composite, it's stronger, uh, they'll serve you a lifetime. Same with the selector, the safety selector on the Mossberg 500. Yes. Does the Remington 870 have more steel components than the Mossberg? Yeah, they do. They just do. I'm not going to argue that, but are they both great shotguns? <laughs> uh, duh. Yeah. So my point is, and that's the point of my show here tonight, ladies and gentlemen, just buy one of the suckers. Just buy one. Ain't all that much that goes wrong with the shotgun. No, there's not. Shotguns are pretty simple. Uh, and you can mitigate some of the problems. And again, I hate to say that because you can buy, they have off-brand versions of the Mossberg 500 called the, the Mavericks. And Sears sold them back in the day, and you can still get them. You can pick these things up, ladies and gentlemen, for well, you used to be able to get them for like a buck and a quarter, like a 125 bucks. Anymore, it's hard to say. Uh, you're probably going to spend upwards of 200, maybe 250 dollars, but that's still, uh, it's going to be, you know, about two thirds of the price of, say, a Mossberg 500 or uh, a Remington 870. And some of the the bad rap that the Remington 870 gets is is that it's uh it's a little bit more expensive. Well, it's because they use they have some steel components and. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but, uh, you know, you can spend a lot of money on one of these things is what I'm trying to say. I mean, you want to spend a lot of money on a shotgun, get a Benelli Supernova or a Benelli uh, uh, Super 90 or one of those. You're going to spend a grand or more. Okay, and you want to talk about a high-end shotgun, get a Benelli. They're great shotguns. And I love them. I don't own one. I have a Mossberg. Uh, my point is, ladies and gentlemen, just buy one and buy lots of freaking ammunition okay get a sling for the thing make sure you have sling mounts on them that's kind of going to be an issue when you buy a lower end whether it's a ar-15 an ak-47 or a mossberg 500 or an 870 when you buy one of the lower end ones if you will then you know they they they're the low end uh because they exclude a lot of features and one of the first features that they exclude on on some of those uh varieties are the sling points Okay. Now they may have ports for a sling port, port or, or a de, like a detachable one that you have to go out and buy. So at least you can insert a, a, a sling mount, if you will. Oh, but some of the stocks don't even come drilled and tapped. They're just basic stock, and you have to kind of jury rig uh, a, 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 a you know a sling attachments, if you will. So keep that in mind uh, because you want slings on your long guns, ladies and gentlemen. You, you want and look, they have single points, they have 
double points. They have multiple point slings. They're all fine. Again, see, I'm not one of those guys that bashes one or the other. I don't, and I have a single point sling. I don't prefer them. I don't like them, but there's nothing wrong with them, and they work just fine. I, however, prefer just your standard sling. Keep it simple. Get a basic sling, something that you can sling it over your shoulder or sling it over your back because you are going to need it, ladies and gentlemen. Again, that's the point of this presentation this evening. Now let's move on. Let's get on to to handguns. And now I'm going to bring up another topic that is a hot topic, and I'm going to mention the Glock pistol. People love or hate the Glock pistol, and it is all bunk and is Internet lore myth, and there's, quite frankly, a lot of stupidity involved, ladies and gentlemen. And the reason I bring up Glock is because of their the modularity, if you will, of the Glock pistol. And again, the purpose of this show is to get you, to spur you, to go out there and get a gun, because you're going to need it, guys, okay? And with a Glock pistol, say you buy a Glock Model 23, and I own one. A Glock Model 23 is the 40 caliber, 40 Smith & Wesson caliber, mid-size, what they call the compact. There are three sizes of Glock pistols you have yours. Subcompact, your compact, and your full-size. When you're speaking of the 40 caliber, you would start off at the subcompact being a Glock 27. They're quite small. I own one. Then you have a Glock 23. They're a little bigger. Then you have the Glock 22, the Model 22. Those are all 40 Smith & Wesson. Now, the, the cool thing about Glock pistols are, are this. So I own a Glock 23. It's a 40 caliber, the 40 Smith & Wesson caliber Glock, right? And you can do this with other pistols as well, but I, and I'm not saying Glock revolutionized this, kind of this function or this, this thing, but it's, 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 it's pretty cool. What am I talking about? Well, you can convert your Glock Model 23 to a 9mm very easily. So then, in other words, you essentially have two pistols. Yeah, I know, you have to break it down and change the barrel, I know, but at the same time, it's less expensive than, say, owning a Glock 19, which is the, the little brother, if you will. It's the 9mm version of the uh, uh, Glock uh, 23. They're, they're similar. They look exactly the same, but they're just different calibers. So my point is, I mean, it, say you want a 9mm, I would advise, say you're just, you like the 9mm. I got no problem with that. So if you're going to buy a 9mm, say you're hell-bent, you, that's what you want. So you're going to go out and you're going to buy a Glock Model 19. Well, I would never discourage that at all. I would, however, just recommend, okay, that's great. Why not just buy the 23? Because then you can just buy the barrel and you can get these things, go to Lone Wolf Distributor, go to the Glock store and buy a replacement barrel. And you just take it apart. You break it just like you break it down when you, after you're done shooting it and cleaning it and swap the barrel out. Now you're going to need a different magazine, obviously. And some people even buy the extractor for the nine millimeter, although that it is not necessary. I can assure you that it is not necessary, but you do, you're going to need a nine millimeter magazine. So that to me, that to me is a pretty good feature or a pretty good uh, platform, if you will. Okay. So, <laughs> and you can do this with a lot of Glocks. Uh, you can, you can convert them. Uh, and generally you can't convert up. You have, to, you have to convert down, if, if that makes any sense. So in other words, you can't convert the Glock Model 19 into a 40 caliber Smith & Wesson. It's not recommended because it, they're, although they look similar, they're, they're not. I mean, there, there's obviously some differences, and I don't 
have all of the, the specs on all of that. But that is the generally the general rule is that you don't want to do that. And I don't even know if it's possible. So, and it may be. But my point is, if you're gonna, if you're, if you're hell bent and you're, you're kind of stuck on the nine millimeter, that's great. It's a great cartridge. You get me. It's widely available, easy to reload, and and the amount of ammunition out there. Again, that's another thing. The, there's a plethora of ammunition out there for both uh, range ammo and defensive ammo that that make the nine millimeter an excellent cartridge. It it, it just is. But then you have, but see, here's the thing: you have people on the other side that just want to bash it, and they don't just want to bash an nine millimeter. They'll bash the forty caliber Smith and Wesson as well because they're so hung up on, "Oh, get a forty-five and blah blah blah." Hey, man, that's fine. You like the forty-five? Great. It's a great cartridge. I own a couple of them. Great cartridge. Absolutely. Again, and I can't overstate this. Just buy one, guys. Whatever it is that you buy. Buy one. If you don't have one, you need to save up the money and buy one, guys. That's my point. Yeah, and in a pinch, a bottle of gas and a lighter will work, too. Absolutely. You should keep some of that on his hand as well, guys. Look, we're getting close to the end of the show. And I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you know, why you're going to maybe need a couple of these things. Well, I'm going to let me just uh, let me just present this to you here. This is the kind of stuff that happens out there ladies and gentlemen this is the this is the this is the disintegration of our culture and our society and eventually we're going to you're going to need a gun and look I care about you all so if you don't have one pull your head out of your rear end and go buy one because you can argue all you want again about oh I don't want to get an AR15 people say they're junk I will say well do you have anything well no well why don't you go buy something first and figure it out before you start wolfing you know what, S-H-I-T, about the AR-15, and you don't even own a rifle. So what, what kind of sense does that make? Check this out. Man willing to lose his job over a 17-minute diversity video. That's right. Where's this out of? Uh, it'll get to it. This is out of, uh, it doesn't necessarily say, maybe the article will. David Hall would rather lose his job, he's held for 14 years, than watch a 17-minute video. The 42-year-old Social Security Administration employee is making headlines over his months-long refusal to watch a training video about lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender diversity as part of an initiative called In Support of an Inclusive Work Environment, as well as Exemplary Customer Service, per a Social Security Administration representative uh, for the Chicago region. The Illinois man tells the News Gazette that WCIA interesting uh, news station, WCIA, that all SSA employees were informed by email in April that they'd need to individually watch the video and then sign a paper verifying that they had done so. Hall, who says the video clashes with his Christian belief that homosexuality is a sin, didn't. Even after his supervisor instructed, I would say demanded him to do so on June 2nd and again on June 24th. Paul didn't budge after that either, but he did ask for a religious accommodation. Well, I'm not going to read any more from the article. You can find it on the Internet out there. That's one example, guys. We're going to need these guns, okay, because we're getting our butts kicked here. Oh, let's see. Was there another one that I, I thought I had here? Let me see. Uh, that's that's kind of unrelated. Yeah, that's that's about it. I, but I, I thought I would bring that to your attention. I got a couple of minutes. And I'm hesitating and pausing for effect. 
it's happening, you know, at a, at a, at a quicker pace guys than it, than, than I think any of us realize or, or even want to, to accept or believe, you know, and if we sit on our hands and don't do anything about it, you're going to get caught up and you're going to get caught with your pants down. Okay. You're going to get caught unprepared. And so you need to prepare. That was the purpose of my gun talk this evening was to kind of encourage people to set aside their differences. If you read my article on my blog, set aside the petty differences about one platform or the other, and just freaking buy one of the doggone things. I mean, you can buy a low end AR 15 for like five, $600 guys. You can get an AR, uh, AK-47, probably same price, maybe a little more. I don't know. You can get low-end ones out there. And again, when I say low-end, I just mean they're going to exclude us some certain features. You know, they might come without, like a low-end AR-15 might come without a dust cover. I wouldn't recommend that. And you can add them on afterwards. Uh, some come without flash hiders or muzzle brakes. Same thing with AK-47s, come without sling points, all that sort of thing. Keep all that in mind when you buy a low-end. You know, you might want to kind of step up a little bit and make sure that when you, what you get is going to work and function for you and going to have all the necessary parts that you're going to need. Okay? That's my point. Buy a handgun. Buy a shotgun. Get, and I've talked about it before and perhaps in another show, I'll go over again what I think should be your basic T-O-N-E, and that would be your tactical organization of equipment because it's important, ladies and gentlemen, because like I said, I care about all of you. I care about my country. I care about my heritage, and I care about my culture. And if I can save it, I want to. But I'm not going to be able to save it if I'm unprepared and I'm unarmed. They want you to be unarmed for a reason, ladies and gentlemen. That's because they don't care about you, and they want to kill you. Well, I always say, I shoot back. You know, you hear that some say, oh, I wouldn't go down that part of town. They kind of shoot at you. I go, really? Well, I shoot back. Okay. And you know what? That's effective. Anytime you shoot back, you keep their heads, heads down as well. All right, guys. Listen, wherever you are on God's green earth, become and be all that you can be and become a domestic terrorist because freedom comes from the sword. God bless you all. See you next week. from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. People realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled.
distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Please leave your name, your number, your prayer request, and or message 
Um, please, the phone number, of course, is 620-878-4682. 620-878-4682. And an emergency, my cell phone number, which is 316-619-4886, which, by the way, folks, I was sidetracked turning it down so it didn't go off during the program. But you can call me on my cell phone for an emergency. You can find the updates with, our, our, <clears throat> with the breaking news, our ministry, radio program archives, email address, and our mailing address at our blog, which is very simply prophecyhour.com. Now, at prophecyhour.com, you'll see the first thing you'll probably notice after you get down in the main column is a lot of news, because we put the latest breaking news there, um, because I believe all news really belongs to prophecy. But if you look to the right, you'll find links to everything that we have, including the archives, and the very first one is to click on how to listen to radio. Anyway, if you just want radio archives alone, alone try MessiahsBranch.com. And, of course, you can find End Time Radio by Messiah's Branch on Stitcher, on iTunes, and several other places as well as YouTube. You can check out branch.potomatic.com. Now, this is uh, our main archive site, and this is where I get most of my stats from. These are is a, is, It's smartphone-friendly. In fact, at branch.potomatic.com, they have an iPhone app and an Android app on Google Play. I also challenge you to share these programs with at least two or three other people. Remember, prayer requests can be sent by United States Postal Service and email with your return address. And if you email, you don't have to put your return address, but if you put your return address and or your phone number to call you back, it's very important. These re- requests will be taken to the Wichita Mission Church, anointed, and anointed with oil, prayed over, and sent back to you at your request with no solicitations for any kind of a donation. We are a national satellite radio program, which is simulcast live on the net internationally, so please pray about supporting our time. On another note, I want to thank our listener base that is worldwide in places like Bonn, Germany, Frankfurt, Germany, South Africa, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Paris, France, imagine that, Westminster, London, in the United Kingdom, Oslo, Norway. You know, I noticed some of these places, they have three names instead of like the United States. Anyway, of course, cities in the good old United States, such as where? Denver, Colorado, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Portland, Oregon, Chandler, Arizona, Tampa, Florida, Toledo, Ohio, New Orleans, Louisiana, as well as Wichita, Kansas, which still remains the largest group of listeners, at least when the radio programs go to podcasts later on tonight. Now, prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in Yeshua HaMashiach's name I pray. Father, I pray that radio tonight goes according to your will and not my will, nor guest will, Father. So please give everyone out there ears in which to hear the truth and understand the truth. In Yeshua HaMashiach's name, amen and amen. Well, our guest's been on with us before. The last time our guest, Daniel Thomas Lancaster, was on, we talked about a new book he had written called What About the New Covenant? If you never got that book, you should really get it. You can find it at First Fruits of Zion. Daniel is the educational director with First Fruits of Zion, the author of the popular Torah series, Messianic Jewish Commentary on the Torah, Prophets, and the New Testament. He's authored several other books through First Fruits of Zion, including Restoration, Returning the Torah of Moses to the Disciples of Yeshua, or well, it says Jesus. He <clears throat> travels extensively as an international speaker in the field of Messianic Judaism 
and pastors Beth Emanuel, a Messianic Jewish synagogue in Hudson, Wisconsin. Um, Thomas uh, Daniel Lancaster, uh, I'm really to have him on with us today, and we're going to talk about his book from Sabbath to Sabbath. Welcome now, Daniel. Are you there with me, Daniel? For having me on the air with you again, it's nice to be back with Messiah's Branch. Well, I'm so glad to have you, brother. And, you know, la- first thing I want to ask you about is, uh, we'll tell them where they can find First Fruits of Zion. That's a major thing. You're going to be able to find First Fruits of Zion and everything that we have to offer at www.ffoz, that's F-F-O-Z, as in firstfruitsofzion.org. And so that's where you can find all of our resources, our books, lots of free teaching online, uh, a lot of great resources about Messianic Judaism, because we're uh, all about Messianic Jewish teaching for Christians and Jews. Amen. Um, first thing, I had to notice there was something new over there. It looked new to me. Um, what, before we get into your book, what is this Unrolling the Scroll? That looked really interesting. So that's a Torah club. Unrolling the Scroll is a Torah club that offers commentary on each of the weekly synagogue Torah readings. You know, we start the new Torah cycle with the festivals. This Sukkot, this, uh, this fall, will be starting in Genesis 1-1. And over the course of a year, over the course of 12 months, the synagogue divides the entire Torah of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, into 54 distinct readings, one a week. We do about one a week. And so what we do is, with Torah Club, we study each of those particular you know, week's worth of readings from a Messianic Jewish perspective. So that's what Unrolling the Scroll is. It's the first in a series of commentaries on the Torah. You know, for a lot of folks, um, just so they understand now, you know, is it, you say Messianic Jewish teaching, um, you know, to me, I just, I just believe that's biblical teaching. Is there a difference? Well, Messianic Jewish teaching comes from the perspective of Messianic Judaism, and Messianic Judaism is essentially that Jewish believers in Jesus. So we're talking about Jewish people who have become believers in the revelation of Yeshua and the New Testament. However, uh, they're still practicing Judaism. We're still uh, part of the larger Jewish nation, the larger Jewish religion. We understand um, the New Testament to be an extension of that which was given in the old and uh, carries on carries on well amen and you know <clears throat> that's actually what i mean by biblical so one other little thing um was not the first century believers jewish of course right so that's another way that i like to describe messianic judaism messianic judaism is the modern reemergence of that original Yeshua sect, that Jewish faith of the early Jewish believers, the apostolic community. Now, of course, there are many Gentiles in the Messianic Jewish movement of the first century, just as there are many Gentiles like myself in the Messianic Jewish movement in the modern era. But when we're talking about Messianic Judaism, we're really talking about the religious impetus of the New Testament community. Amen. Um, well, you know, we you, we vaguely brought up feast uh, coming in, and folks, we are headed into the feast this next coming month. Um, and today, though, we're going to talk about a book called Sabbath to Sabbath, and the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, is the first feast listed in Leviticus 23. Well, Daniel, I really love the book. Um, I guess I just opened the door. Where do you want? Let's go. 
Okay, so, well, this is an exciting book for me to write as well, From Sabbath to Sabbath. I am Sabbatarian myself. My family has been uh, Sabbatarian. Uh, uh, we raised our children Sabbatarian. My wife and I have been keeping the Sabbath for 20-some years. And uh, so it was. It, it's a book that I've always wanted to write. I wanted to write a book that was not only about how the Sabbath hasn't been abolished, that's certainly a strong emphasis that the New Testament doesn't abolish the Sabbath. Yeshua didn't come to do away with the Sabbath. Um, so I wanted to include all of that to make the argument for the Sabbath, that the Sabbath is still enduring and it's still ongoing. But I also wanted to point out that the Sabbath is not just for Jewish people. Yes, it's a commandment for the Jewish people, but all of God's people have a share in the seventh day, in the holy day. And so I wanted to give it, I wanted to create a book that would cover all of that, and not only that, but would also explain the story to the average reader, uh, explain the story of how we lost the Sabbath, how the church wandered away from the Sabbath, and how Sunday became the de facto day of worship mm-hmm. in the Christian church. Well, amen. And I figure this is a real great time of year to do this because, like I said, it's listed as the first feast. A lot of people don't realize that it is indeed a feast. Even uh, I know a lot of people have been in Torah for years, and I say, yeah, it's the first feast. And they go, oh, oh, yeah, it is, isn't it? They don't even understand it. So a little on that. That's right. So if we look at Leviticus chapter 23, which is, of course, the classic calendar of God's appointed times, his Moedim. So the very first Moed, the very first appointed time that's listed there is the Sabbath day, the seventh day, day of rest, God's holy day. And a lot of times people think that, you know, the the annual festivals that only come once a year are probably holier than the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is more often, it's more regular, but but from a Jewish perspective, it's just the opposite. The Sabbath is the holy day. It's It takes priority over all the other holy days, except for Yom Kippur. On the Day of Atonement, we do fast when it coincides with the Sabbath, but otherwise, the Sabbath is the priority of the appointed times of the Moedim, the festivals, as we call them, the feasts of the Lord. Well, amen. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been, I, I started keeping Sabbath first. I, it took me a while to learn that, one, indeed, that I needed to keep the feast, but the hardest thing about learning how to keep the feast was learning how to keep the feast. The Sabbath was a little bit simpler, and, I, and now our family's been keeping the Sabbath for 27 years, and I believe that we didn't start getting blessed until then. So is there a blessing for keeping the Sabbath? You know, a lot of people will tell you that there's a blessing for the Jewish people to keep the Sabbath, but there's no blessing for the Gentiles to keep the Sabbath. And that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that the Sabbath day itself is blessed. In fact, the, the Sabbath is the very first thing that God blessed and set apart as holy. Now, both of them, blessed and holy. And that, what does it mean that a day is blessed? That means that the Sabbath is blessed time. So just by setting the day aside and entering into the holiness of the Sabbath day, you're entering into God's blessing. He's already put his blessing on it. It's already there. It's just waiting for us. Likewise, we read you know, plenty of passages such as those in Isaiah about the foreigner who comes 
to take hold of God's covenant and to observe his Sabbath and how he will be blessed and he will be counted and numbered among the people of Israel and how his, his prayers will be received, his burnt offerings will be received in the house of the Lord. And that's, that's a matter of, of a biblical statement of, of the prophet Isaiah, speaking of the blessing that's waiting for the Gentile believer or the Gentile who comes near to the Lord and keeps his Sabbath. Well, amen. So then, um, in uh, a Torah-observant community, so to speak, um, then everybody, whether they were a stranger or who they were, were required would be required to take part of the holy day, right? Well, in, in such a community, in a, in a Jewish community, right. you would have different levels of observance regarding the Sabbath, because there's different particulars. So perhaps you would have Jewish people who are more strict about, the, about certain laws regarding uh, ceasing from work, resting on the Sabbath, and, uh, and, and so on. But nevertheless, here's the thing. The Sabbath is the only day of worship on the table in the Bible. You know, of course, every day is a day for worshiping the Lord, but I'm talking about a day unto the Lord. That's the Sabbath. It's not as, as if the New Testament came along and said, well, let's start another day of worship for Gentiles, or let's have another day of worship for people who are Christians and followers of Jesus, or something like this. That wasn't even, that wasn't even uh, within the, the, the view of the apostles. They had no idea, no notion of such a thing. Well, I think you could probably define it like you did in your book. You may, you talked about Yeshua and talking about the uh, tell them about the Sabbath being made for man and not for the Jews. Well, that's a good point. For example, you know, and this is in the context of a discussion in the Gospels about whether or not it's permissible to heal on the Sabbath and whether or not it's permissible to alleviate human suffering on the Sabbath. And our Master, Yeshua, takes the position that it certainly is permissible to do so on the Sabbath, even if that violates the Sabbath, because compassion for a human being should take priority over a ceremonial law. That's his point in all of those Sabbath conflicts. And then he makes the statement, he says, After all, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so I made the point in the book that he says, the Sabbath was made for man, that is, for a human being, for human beings in general. He could have said yeah. the Sabbath was made for the Jewish people, not the Jewish people for the Sabbath, but he said the Sabbath was made for man. And we see that the Sabbath exists from before the Jewish people were even a nation, that the Sabbath is the very first institution of godliness, the very first institution of religion whatsoever, of revelation of God, this, because it's there since the you know, the seventh day of creation, after the six right. days of creation. It's right from the beginning of humanity's story. Well, and, you know, a radio talk host usually shouldn't ask a question he really doesn't know the answer to, but I'm going to ask you this question because I'm not sure how you would touch on it, but um, a lot of folks, because I've ran into it with this calendar thing, this moon calendar or whatever, and some other people, and they tell me, well, there's there's no way this, the Sabbath that we observe, you know, once a week would be the same Sabbath that stretched clear back. What do you think? Well, that's another point that I do make in the book, is that the reason we know what day the Sabbath is, is that the Jewish people know what day the Sabbath is. And the Jewish people have 
been continually keeping the Sabbath and, you know, uh, continually knowing what day of the week it is since Mount Sinai, since they received the law, the commandment to keep the Sabbath, since the manna didn't show up on the Sabbath, they know what day the Sabbath is. Now, here's the thing. You might think, well, that was a long time ago. Maybe the Jewish people have forgotten since then. Maybe they strayed into apostasy. Maybe there were times of idolatry and they got off, off beat or something like that. But here's the thing about that. We're talking about the simple, simple equation of numbering the days of the week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in our vernacular. Now, it's possible that I might wake up in the morning and forget what day of the week it is. It happens from time to time that I think it's Thursday when it's actually Wednesday or something like that. But it's very unlikely that both my wife and I simultaneously would forget what day of the week it is. It's almost impossible that my entire family would forget what day of the week it is. And it is absolutely impossible that the entire community that I live in would all simultaneously forget what day of the week it is. So there's a continuous witness, a living, abiding voice, a continuous witness to the Sabbath day that exists with the Jewish people. And the truth is you don't even have to go all the way back to Mount Sinai. This chain only has to go back to the days of the New Testament because surely our Master Yeshua knew what day the Sabbath was. And there's been a continuous, a continuous uh, progression of Sabbath keepers keeping the day once every seven days ever since then. Yeah, absolutely. Ab- absolutely. I-, I totally agree with you. And that's the same thing that I use uh, in my arguments over um, these days, was that, you know, surely Yeshua uh, couldn't have been wrong. He wouldn't have been crucified on a day that w- didn't fulfill, you know, the Passover, right? Right. Right. Yeah, and you have, you know, the, the same when we have these calendar disputes and you have these, you know, Gentiles coming along and saying that they know how to keep the calendar, know how to read the, the Jewish calendar better than the Jewish people, the biblical calendar better than the Jewish people. That's really the kind of arrogance that Paul is warning us against in Romans when he says, you know, that we shouldn't become arrogant over the natural branches. And Paul says very clearly that the Torah was given to the Jewish people, the oracles of God was given to the Jewish people, and that these things are then therefore mitigated through the Jewish community. We find that in Deuteronomy 17, that the Jewish court has the authority to interpret the Torah, and that would apply to controversial things such as what day of the month it is, what month of the year it is, what day of the week it is. Because if you don't have some sort of unity, some sort of forum for unity like that, you'll have just chaos, and your religion will very quickly disintegrate and split into 36,000 Protestant denominations. Yeah, amen. Um, Let me see what time we got. Okay. I really don't want to go deep into this question yet, but I'm I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, Just for the record, you know, a lot of people out there listening saying, oh, well, they're putting the Sabbath over, you know, Yeshua. Um, Keeping the Sabbath or not keeping the Sabbath, is that going to save you? Well, obviously, you know, you having read the book, you know the answer already that we're not talking about a salvation issue here. And I want to be clear that we're not even saying that it's a sin for a Gentile not to keep the Sabbath. We're not even saying that because, you know, there's the, the Sabbath is a sign between God and the Jewish people. What we're saying is that there is a blessing for anyone who keeps the Sabbath, that there's a blessing in the experience 
of keeping the Sabbath day. So it's not a salvation issue, not at all. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, I knew the answer to that and I, because of reading the book, but I knew the answer anyway. Right, um, of course. But we have to ask the question. You know, a lot of people think, boy, that, that guy must be dumb, you know. And he doesn't know anything. He's always asking questions. Well, that's <laughs> my job is to ask questions. That's you right. Know? You want to make sure that you don't miss any, don't miss any bases. Right, right, absolutely. But you'd be surprised at how many people do point say that to me. But anyway, yeah, it's a really blessed book. It's called Sabbath to Sabbath. We've got just about a minute before break. So, um, again, tell them about the website and tell them, you know, uh, about something that's really good over there for them to look at. Right. So if you come to our website at www.ffoz.org, you can find uh, every week, well, every day almost, we're putting up new articles, new information, and that sort of thing. But um, you'll also be able to access a, a catalog of teachings that we've put up there for just for anyone to download and to, to open. And so you can get to that through, uh, once again, it's First Fruits of Zion, www.ffoz, that's F as in Frank, F as in Franco, as in Oscar, Z as in Zebra, dot org. And that's where the website is for the ministry. Yeah, absolutely, folks. And when this goes to podcast later, you actually could probably find it on my website now, but it will definitely be wherever there's podcasts of this, you will be able to find a link to this website directly, especially on PropsyHour.com. But we're going to go and be back in three minutes. All right. Dan will be right back. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your 
proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Dan Kaplan, and you're listening to Messiah's Branch Prophecy Hour on the American Voice Radio Network. Well, folks, remember to pray tonight about a donation for our work with the homeless and poor from our mission church in Wichita, Kansas. Support us so we can care for the people that the Father sends us. We need your help for food, clothing, over-the-counter medications, Bibles, and all sorts of things. Because believe me, the poor are just as hungry for for um, Yeshua as anybody else is, and probably, you know what, even more so, because, you know, that when they don't have all these things to rely on and fall back, they go to prayers of faith. So anyway, um, support us so we can do that. But I need to talk to you about something else with the Mission Church. You know, we give the rides to the poor from the north part of the city to the Mission Church. We use an old 92 Ford bus for this and watch rickety and bangity and all that and barely no heat, and has no air conditioning. It's served the Father really, really well for about nine years now. And, of course, we've been doing this. This is our 17th year. But for about nine years, we've had this bus. At the first of the spring, it broke down. You know, we've been trying to fix it to no avail. I have a son who's a mechanic, and we replace. It keeps acting like something electronic, and we replace practically all of the electronic things on it. But still, it's got a problem. It'll run real good, and then all of a sudden, it'll start missing out. The last thing that we can check out is the computer. If it isn't a computer, I have no idea what it is. We might have to replace it. Can we fix it? Maybe, if we had the funds to do so. But we lack even the $300 that it takes to try the computer to see if it works. 
If the computer doesn't work, folks, we really need to pray a miracle in for this bus because it is a big part of our ministry. People need to get there. The weather's starting to turn bad. Rain, it's soon going to turn to snow, so on and so forth. And we are the last hope for so many. So if we have to replace it, I've been looking around. It's going to take three to $4,000 to replace the bus. And it serves, uh, it does about half of our mission church work. So please pray about it. You know, we get no help from the organized churches or government agencies. It's only people like you folks that support us that we're now in our 17th year that make this mission church work. You see, when we were told that we were even told that the support of Israel stops people from donating to us. Imagine that. We are, we are so to speak, the weirdos down the block who keep weird holidays and support Israel and take care of those, well, homeless people. Well, they don't realize we're taking care of the homeless and poor, and even suit and tie people come there sometimes for prayers. Yes, we care for the people, minister to the people in a part of town that most people don't even like to drive through after dark, and some of them won't drive through it in the daylight. So why do so many people come to us for help? Well, love, that's the first answer. Treated as family, the second. Beyond that, well, we have no set guidelines like programs. People walk in the door and ask for what they need. That's the rule. If we don't have it, the way to fill the need, we pray it in. This is why even the agencies tell their employees about the Father's Little Mission Church so that they'll send people to us. Yes, you see, when guidelines stop them from helping, they send people to us. People who have millions of dollars in their budget send people to a place that really has no budget. Remember, that are the weirdos down the block. We are the very last hope for so many, and we are responsible to care one for another as we are our brother's keepers. The Father notices all donations no matter what size, but what size donation is the best? Ones that come from where? Your heart. If you don't wish to help with the poor, pray about um, donating to radio because, again, we don't sell anything, and we rely on you to keep us on the air. You can donate online or mail a check or money order, and you can find all this information at prophecyhour.com, prophecyhour.com. And now we're talking about a wonderful book called Sabbath to Sabbath, and we're speaking with Daniel Thomas Lancaster. Are you still there with me, Daniel? Yes, I am. Well, amen. Um, I guess we start this part of the program off. I wanted to talk about how the Sabbath is, is really the blessings of it. There's so much of it in there. But I want to tell the people, um, you explain to the people, because this is a, a prophetic show, so to speak, and people tune in here because they want to know about Bible prophecy. But the Sabbath is prophecy. Can you explain? Sure, yeah. So there is a very important prophetic side to the observance of the weekly Sabbath, to the, the seventh-day Sabbath. And this is something that comes all the way back from the days of the, the early rabbis and even as far back as the days of the apostles. It's the idea that the Sabbath, represents the Messianic era and the world to come. And that's why the Sabbath falls on the seventh day. Because the rabbis said, just as there will be 6,000 years until God's redemption, and then there will be a 1,000 years of the Messianic era. Likewise, there's six days and then the Sabbath day. And so the Sabbath itself becomes a picture of the coming Messianic era, that thousand-year millennium 
that we speak about, we hear about in the book of Revelation, and that we're looking forward to. It's the Messianic era that our Master Yeshua refers to as the kingdom of heaven. Remember, he came preaching the kingdom of heaven. It's all about the Messianic era. He said, seek first to enter the kingdom. Well, every Sabbath is a little foretaste. It's a little foretaste of the kingdom. So every time we keep the Sabbath day, it's actually like we're taking part in biblical prophecy. We're getting a little taste of that. Wonderful Sabbath. Amen. Wonderful Sabbath. Yeah, and, you know, there's... I wondered, you know, the disconnect, I think, on the Sabbath in the new millennium is, you know, brother, we're still dealing with so many Christians out there that, you know, just think it's all over with when Yeshua returns that, you know, just instantly we're all gone off the planet and they miss the essence of what's coming. Yes, I know. It's sad. It's sad because they're not only missing the prophetic essence of what's coming, but they're missing the whole thrust of the message of Yeshua and the Apostles. When, when you don't believe in a coming kingdom on earth, you're kind of missing the point of the gospel. The gospel message was, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent so that you enter the kingdom of heaven. And so that was the whole thrust of the message. And if we say, well, there is no kingdom of heaven on earth, there, except, you know, whatever, whatever we call it now, uh, there is no coming kingdom of heaven on earth, then we're, we're kind of missing the whole point. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the, those. I guess it's kind of like this. You know, when I read my Bible, I read it from an unchurched point of view. Mm-hmm. And so it made it easier for me to grasp. What do you think? Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, and it's no coincidence that most of the people who have been what theologians call Kilius, that's people who believe in a thousand-year era messianic reign that's coming in the future. Most of those people are also Sabbatarians, and most Sabbatarians, in fact, all Sabbatarians that I've ever heard of, are also Kilius. They're also believers in that future thousand-year reign. Whereas most people who are amillennial, that is meaning that they don't believe in the coming kingdom of heaven, are also asabbatarian. They are not Sabbath keepers. Right. All right. And it, it's it's such a shame for people to miss out on it because you know um, I, I like what what the father said he he told it he he said that he would know his people by those who kept his Sabbath. Um, Care to talk on that just a little bit? Yeah. So well, the Sabbath is a sign of God's people. It's a sign between God and Israel, specifically between God and the Jewish people. But he didn't establish another sign for another people. It's not as if, you know, people think, they think that, well, uh, you know, the Sabbath was for the Jews and Sunday is for the church or Sunday is for the Christians. Well, not so. That, that's not how it went down. There is only one people of God. You know, we're all going to be one people. You know, there's Israel, the Jewish people, and then greater Israel, the nations that are under the Jewish king. Likewise, there's only going to be one calendar. There's only, we're all going to be keeping the same calendar in the kingdom. And moreover, there's only going to be one Sabbath day. It's not as if, you know, Messiah is going to come back, Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to keep the Sabbath with his Jewish friends on Saturday and then go to church on Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, and and amen. Don't get me wrong, folks. Uh, I, I don't mean to, I'm not laughing at anybody in particular, but, 
you know, even the thought of that, Yeshua keeping two days is just, you know, why would he have one for Jews? And what, because everybody's going to be as one, you know, even that you should be able to see from your New Testament, let alone aren't the Gentiles grafted into Israel then? Yeah, grafted into Israel. It's not, yeah, it's not the other way around. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the other way around. And that's the problem that we see so much of. That's uh, what we call a replacement theology. That's right. And, that's called replacement theology. So, you know, a lot of times people say, well, we're all one new man. Uh, I have a friend, a Messianic rabbi here, who says, why is it that the church, whenever the church teaches about one new man, that one new man is always a Gentile? <laughs> rather than. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, and it. it, it I'm not, uh, I don't know, we've been handled a lot of traditions that, you know, shouldn't have been that way, but um, why? so why did, why did the Sabbath change? I guess we could go there. Why did the Sabbath change? Um, sure. So, well, just in a nutshell, you know, to, to put it very briefly, when the Gentile church started to drift away from the Jewish people and to break off, really, from the Jewish people, uh, they were still observing the uh, first day as a remembrance, a memorial, of course, of the day that the Master rose, the day of the resurrection. The Sabbath-keeping became a mark of who's Jewish and who's not Jewish. This was even enforced by the Roman Empire. The Empire would look at it and they'd say, if you keep the seventh day, you're Jewish and you'll have to pay these taxes and you have to endure persecution and so forth as a Jew. So there was a lot of disincentives for those early Gentile Christians in the 2nd century, 3rd century, and so forth, to, dis- to distance themselves from the Sabbath day. But, uh, you know, you need a day. You need a day of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to give to the Lord. And um, so the first day became the natural substitute. Then when the church councils convened and Emperor Constantine made the ruling that we are to have nothing to do with the detestable Jews, and that's actually quote-unquote, on his part. Yeah. Um, that sort of clinched the deal, I guess. Yeah. And for the record, Constantine <clears throat> was a sun god worshiper uh, until his so-called conversion, and I'll say so-called. Um, and so he already worshipped on the venerable day of the sun, I think he called it, didn't he? Well, it makes, it, it makes the transition a lot easier, that's for sure, that you already had uh, some reverence of, of the first day in the Roman Empire. Yeah, amen. Well, you know, I find us with some time left, um, about at least 10 minutes. Um, Why don't we brush on these coming feasts that are coming? Why should we keep the feasts? That's a good idea. So I could make all of the same arguments for keeping the Sabbath as for keeping the rest of the festivals, since, as you pointed out, when we began this conversation, the Sabbath actually is one of the festivals, one of the appointed times of the Lord. Lord, It says in Leviticus 23, these are my appointed times, and then he goes on to give us a list. And the list is, of course, we're thinking of the annual festivals, such as Passover and Pentecost, or, you know, Pesach, Shavuot, um, Rosh Hashanah, uh, the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. But the Sabbath is listed right there along with these other festivals. So, you might say, well, okay, I'll keep the Sabbath, but I'm not going to keep these other Jewish festivals. I don't think these other Jewish festivals have anything to do with uh, Christians. But 
the reality is that the early believers, just as they were keeping the Sabbath, they were also keeping the festivals. And so we see, for example, all through the Gospels, we see Yeshua and his 12 disciples making pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, then back to Galilee, up to Jerusalem, back to Galilee, always around the festivals to keep the festivals. Well, of course they're keeping the festivals. They're Jewish people. They're Jews. That's what they're going to do. But likewise, as we move out into the book of Acts, we see that the festivals are also informing us in the book of Acts. Even Paul is hurrying back from, uh, hurrying back from Ephesus in order to arrive in Jerusalem on time to keep the festival of Shavuot and so forth. So uh, it's part of our New Testament heritage. It's part of our heritage as disciples of Yeshua to keep the festivals. But there's also a prophetic aspect to the festivals that should be very interesting to every Every disciple of Yeshua, every disciple of Yeshua should be excited about the festivals and keeping the festivals because, as Paul says, they, show, they are a shadow of things to come and they show us the shape of Messiah. That means that each of the festivals, each of these appointed times, is like an, a rehearsal for redemption, just as Passover was a rehearsal for the death of the Messiah and the resurrection of the Messiah, just as Pentecost... Shavuot, Pentecost, was a rehearsal for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So too, when we're looking into the fall festivals that are about to start in a few weeks, mm-hmm. we'll start with Rosh Hashanah and the Festival of Trumpets. That's going to be a rehearsal for the day that we hear the trumpet. And when we come to the Day of Atonement, the Day of Yom Kippur, which is considered the Day of Judgment in Judaism, that's like a rehearsal for the final judgment that's coming on us. And we come to the Festival of Tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkot. That's a rehearsal. This is a, the, great, the great celebration, the great festival. is a rehearsal for the coming Messianic era, the coming kingdom. So we see our eschatology, our end times, is kind of laid out in blueprint form by the festivals themselves. Well, you know... Folks, these these three festivals, while all the festivals are prophetic, the first have been fulfilled, but these others will be fulfilled when he returns. And they paint a picture. All of you folks that think you want to know about Bible prophecy, if you don't know about the feast, then I'm sorry, you just don't aren't going to probably get it right about Bible prophecy because his coming and the kingdom, everything is embedded in these feasts. The season of our joy. Tell us a little more about what we do at the season of our joy. What is that all about? Season of our joy. You're referring to you're you're, retur- you're referring to the festival of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Sure. As, okay. So the Bible calls it the season of our rejoicing. Why why it is is it the season of our rejoicing? Well, Sukkot is the most joyous festival. It was a pilgrimage festival. It was a seven day festival during which the children of Israel were to live in little booths. That's the Hebrew word of Sukkot, is Sukkot. We translate it as tabernacles sometimes. They were to live in little booths. It's like camping out with God. To live in these little huts outside of their homes as a remembrance of how the Lord had them living in booths and huts when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And so that's the idea of Sukkot. But this festival is since it comes after the harvest. It's sort of like the harvest festival. It's like the capstone of the agricultural year in ancient Israel. And it had an association, therefore, of feasting and rejoicing that was already you know, intact there 
just mm-hmm. uh, I suppose you could compare it sort of to like uh, Thanksgiving uh, here in the United States, you know, because that's also a harvest festival. Right. But it's it like Thanksgiving of... expanded to, to eight days, well, seven days in the last great eight, the last great day. That's right. And there was a rule uh, with the tithes that we read about in Deuteronomy that you were to keep a second tithe after your first tithe. There was a second tithe that was to be set aside for you to spend on whatever your heart desires for the festival of Sukkot, to make the festival special so that everybody should rejoice and everybody should have a good time. So it's as if God's throwing a seven-day party with the festival of Sukkot, and he's inviting everybody to come. And he really is inviting everybody to come. Sometimes we call it the Feast of All Nations because we read about in the prophecies of Zechariah how all nations will ascend to Jerusalem in the Messianic era to keep the festival of Sukkot. And so those of us who are keeping the festival of Sukkot this fall, those of us from the nations, we're getting a head start on Bible prophecy. We're getting a head start on the Messianic era by keeping the season of our joy, the festival of Sukkot, here and now on this side of the Messianic era. Yes, amen. And it's so wonderful. You know, um, we, we always, if it wasn't for, it's just like if it wasn't for, my wife always said, if it wasn't for the Sabbath, I wouldn't ever get no rest. That's <laughs> a fact. And then it's the same way with Sukkot. If we, because at Sukkot, we leave, we go someplace. If it wasn't for Sukkot, I wouldn't have a vacation. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. If it wasn't for the Sabbath, your wife says she wouldn't get any rest. But another thing that the Sabbath is there for is that the Sabbath is special time to spend with God. If it wasn't for the Sabbath, I wouldn't have extra time to pray, an extra time to study, an extra time to learn God's Word, that focused time. That's what the Sabbath is supposed to be about. It's holy time. It's God's day. And likewise with the festivals. These are God's appointed times. They're his appointed times to meet with us, to meet with his people. And so we use these days to break away from the regular, the mundane, the ordinary, and enter into the holy, enter into a little sanctuary in time is what I like to call the Sabbath and the holy days, as if you're entering into a physical sanctuary in space, but but not in space this time. We're entering into a holy place in time, the Holy Sabbath day, the holy festivals, in order that we can experience a little bit of God's presence in this world. In this unholy world, we are setting aside a little bit of holiness. Yeah, amen. Well, um, personal, I won't ask you if you go travel on it, but... I'll just give the folks a minute of, of what we do. Well, like this year, we're going to probably travel to Oklahoma to a big feast down there where people gather from all over the, the country. And uh, we'll be listening to Messianic speakers, and there will be teachings and a lot of just fellowship. And it'll just be all about, you know, it'll be all about Yeshua is what it'll be all about. And uh, that'll be for eight days. And so we'll be when we come out of it, we'll be spiritually renewed and ready to take on the world for the next year. Back to you. That sounds great. Yeah, up here in our community, everybody builds a little booth uh, in their yard, and we visit neighbors, and we spend eight days just enjoying each other each other's company and having special services and uh, special uh, meals together and uh, just spending time fellowshipping and 
and really enjoying the Lord together for the, the season of our rejoicing. Well, amen. I'm glad that you live in a community where there's others that are like that. I live in a little farm community, you know, and we're the uh, only weirdos around here that, that they refer to us as, oh, those Jews. They don't get it. We blew, I've lived here 27 years, and they still call us those Jews. They don't get it no matter how many times I've explained it to us. So I quit trying to explain it. Um, but we're just those Jews down the block. But uh, so we do travel someplace, you know, um, to be with people. But, you know, we will build a, uh, a booth in our yard. And I know one, uh, I'll give you a, a funny little joke, and then it'll be about time for us to wrap up. One year, my wife and my two daughters were out guttering. Uh, they went out and guttered a whole bunch of wild flowers and things and put them in the trunk of the car and brought them back. And we were decorating the sukkah. And here comes a police officer. And I went, up to him, and I said, well, yeah, can I help you? You know, it's always a friendly community. And he says, well, he says, uh, well, I need to look in the trunk of the car. I said, well, what for? He said, well, there was a report that your wife and these two girls were out in the ditches, and they were picking marijuana. <laughs> and, I, and I just started cracking up, and I took him. I said, come on, let me explain it to you. And I, and you know how hard it is to explain Sukkot to a police officer that's from Kansas in about <laughs> two minutes, you know? He left scratching his head and laughing. But, you know, it was, we'll never forget it as long as we live. We were out picking marijuana. No, that doesn't look like marijuana. Anyway. That's a priceless story, and I'm probably going to have to retell that story a few times myself. You can tell it as many times as you want because it's true. It's absolutely true. (laughs) 